Hello again, everybody, and welcome. It's a new era for the Jim Cornette experience. The Bloodline's aura is hotter than ever, and a new list in AEW will try to eliminate the errors. It's the full coverage edition of the Jim Cornette experience, and joining me today, of course, as always, Hawaiian Brian, the podcasting lion, the king of the Arcadian Vanguard Podcast Network, Mr. Co-host to you. He's definitely the man that will call you out if you make a mistake, the great Brian Last, everybody. Hello, hi, Jim. A pleasure to be here once again. I'm sure we'll make plenty of mistakes today, at least in some people's eyes. Well, and, and other people will realize the, the grandeur of our, the magnitude of us, Ooh. and will stay in their place. The magnitude <laughs> of us. I like the mag- that. Where, where have I heard that before? Um, be a love song for no, us. You know, a lot of people have been making errors in judgment, at least, um, lately and you know people are used to me having to verbally or how to twiddle twitterly (laughs) backhand somebody but you carried the the banner the torch for the cult of cornet last week when we were invaded by all those hardyites and hardyites that came out after the leader uh mushroom matt accused us of (laughs) Marketing toxicity, Ow! poisonous, and things and such of that nature. And, and you carried the banner for everybody because I was sleeping at the time. And I guess, you know, Brian, that's a thing. He, he basically says that's all we've got left is marketing the toxicity because that's the only way that we can be involved in professional wrestling. I also have my hair for the record. Well, true. But are we actually involved in professional wrestling? Have we not? I know I have. I don't know about you. Tried as hard as possible over the past few years to be as far away from involved in professional wrestling as we possibly could. It wasn't me. I wasn't even there. So why is his assumption that we are in professional wrestling? Just because all the people in professional wrestling and all the people that like it listen to us, why do we have to be painted with that same brush? That's right. We're broadcasters, Matt. Try that sometime. Yeah, instead of narrowcasting. It's better if you broadcast. <laughs> More people That's hear right. it. But I didn't expect you to say that. <laughs> we're back on top, baby, by the way. We are now broadcasting. We've been narrowcasting only to a limited audience on the YouTube while we straightened out our podcast feeds over the past couple of weeks. It took a little longer than we thought. We're going to have an excellent, long, and detailed story slash explanation on all the things that have gone on uh, this coming week on your show on the drive through but the last loose ends right now are being tied up if they are not already tight. And, you know, I hear we got big files, Brian. We got massive, just humongous files. Humongous files, and people like to grab those files a lot frequently, so... Grab those files. Was that JYD's song, Grab Those Files? Yes, with a... I was going to say Gloria Gaynor. It wasn't Gloria Vicky Sue Robinson. Vicky Sue Robinson. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Fucking Gloria Gaynor wouldn't have survived that. Are you kidding? Why do you, what do you think killed Vicky Sue Robinson's career? She had turned the beat around. You know what? Loved it. You know, and then all of a sudden, teamed up with JYD, and she was gone. Gone, gone, gone. Well, let's look real quick 
Since you brought that up, I'm Googling it now, and that's the exact wrong thing. The... There we go. What the fuck was that, Scatman Crothers? What are you Google-fying? I was trying to do my uh, Scatman Rollins uh, impression. Trying to see what famous musicians were on the wrestling album. Like, what other careers just went downhill quick? Well, Rick Derringer. Rick Derringer. He was on this it. Album. Meatloaf was in the music video, and that was kind of after... That was after Bad Out of Hell, but before Bad Out of Hell 2. Yeah, it's somewhere in that 25-year period. <laughs> um, so his career. Uh, Jimmy Hart. Jimmy Hart's career. Jimmy Hart was on it. He, he's Never legit. Yeah. Um, well, I, mean, I, I think his career prospered after that. Maybe not in music, but he had already kind of transitioned. Um, uh, and, and obviously, Cindy, Mona Flambe. But um, there were other at least noted studio musicians involved in some of that, was there not? I believe so. Jim Steinman was involved with this. That's probably who pulled Meatloaf in. Anyway, uh... Well, your, anyway, back to our show. big files. Your back show. to our large, throbbing files. We It, it also... Uh, those have been transferred over. And, and now, basically, it, wherever... Tell me if I'm telling a lie, Brian Last. Wherever you find your favorite podcast is no longer just a, a saying, just a tagline. It's now actually true. You can hear us going forward and all the previous shows that we have done. Wherever you find your favorite podcast with full functionality, you can pause it. You can stop it. You can start it again. You can do all the things that download it, upload it. All the things you've never done. All the things that you can do to a podcast, you can now do to this pod. We're just whores. You can just do anything to us. We have no limits whatsoever in the things you can do to our podcast now, right? Except you cannot uh, re-record or broadcast without express written permission of Major League Baseball. Correct. Or but otherwise, you can, you can just have some kind of goddamn... German Bukaki fucking festival with our podcast now. They do everything. I don't know what you're talking about anymore, but to answer your earlier question, we are now everywhere, everywhere that we were, we are. And for everyone that was worried that we would be YouTube exclusive, we're not. We're still going to be there, but we're also going to be over here. We had, which, which was never our intention. Never. People have been panicking. Yeah. My God, it would have been easier on the fucking American populace and the, uh, indeed the people around the world if somebody had just cut off suddenly the goddamn black tar heroin supply. It wouldn't have got so much complaints instead of us just being off the podcast feeds for two weeks. We're, we, we were never going to jack y'all around. We weren't going to charge you and we weren't going to leave you. We'll never leave you, no matter how hard you fucking want us to. <laughs> Um, but yeah, so it's all settled now and, and more on that on the uh, drive through this week. But uh, have you heard that Kentucky, my metropolitan Louisville area made the news again this week? Did you hear about this, Brian? I don't know what you're talking about. No. Well, there's a local component to a, a much larger, apparently national, possibly even international story going on here. But they down in Mount Washington, Kentucky, which is right down south of Louisville, down in Bullock County, not far from a 20, well, from the county line, it's just a mere hop, skip, and a jump, or just a spit and a shout, as Aunt Lola used to say. The police, acting on a tip from this larger investigation that they've been doing, the FBI, actually, wasn't even the wasn't like goddamn Bullock County Sheriff's Office went in on this. This was the FBI. 
they found a guy, and boy, you ought to see his picture. In Mount Washington, went to his house, and he had 40 human skulls, some spinal cords, and some femurs just laying around the house, along with an AK-47 and some body armor. So, again, at least we know the gun nuts are branching out in their hobbies. First, it was just the stockpiling the guns. Now it's stockpiling guns and human body parts. And come to find out this guy is just, he's just the tip of the femur. He is just the edge of the clavicle in all of this. He's a low-level participant in a human remain-selling ring that's been conducted on Facebook. Whoa, on Facebook? Yeah, so I think we need to change our rules. Um, on the, we need to at least make an amendment and addendum oh i don't know no marketing of human remains it, it, well unless uh, we could include certain or disinclude certain people if you have human remains of these individuals you can market otherwise we're but yeah and they had well, pictures of these people i've been getting there was one woman at works imagine this in a mortuary in some other state and she was they were they were bandying these body parts, human remains, back and forth on Facebook. Oh, I'll give you 17 bucks for that fucking upper clavicle or whatever the fuck. If you want a mortuary, that's to be your biggest nightmare. You hire someone and they just start selling body parts? Yes. And well, and there's been mortuaries in the news. Here was a guy the other, other fucking month I saw that they had just arrested, indicted, or... What taken into custody for, well, he just, he got behind. And so he, they had a bunch of fake funerals for the family. He really had the fucking bodies stacked up in the back. Some of them had been cremated, but they hadn't done anything with them yet. And the other ones were still there. He just, he was so overwhelmed. You see, you, you never know what the fuck's going on with these people. Why would you want to get in that line of work? Sounds like these are perfect heels for the undertaker to make a comeback against uh, they, there you go it, it could be a at least a graphic novel series the undertaker going from state to state uh stamping out outlaw mortuaries selling the remains instead of putting them under the dogwood tree where they belong see i didn't see that story because the big story out here is they caught the gilgo beach murderer they, who did they, they did who to what it's been a national story the dildo beach murder that is not what i said i said is, gilgo not dildo you know i went to a beach out in california one time that what <laughs> but, well nevertheless so you're saying there was a murder at dildo beach in new jersey i was not saying that i was talking about gilgo beach suffolk county long island new york oh so that was that was who john tenta was named after when he was in the oddities gilga no, that was Golga. Oh, oh, then this, this was, I'm sorry, this was where what was famed that name, Saturday anyway? Night Live comedian uh, Gilda Radner was from, Gilda Beach. It's Gilgo Beach. I don't know what a Gilgo is, if that's the next question. It's a small slice of beach you, on a barrier island. Well, uh, let me ask you, do you know what a Henway is? What's that? What a Henway? About yeah. three pounds. But anyway. So what happened at this beach where this the murder at Party Beach? Well, for a little while, about 12 years or so back, they found a bunch of bodies. Pieces of bodies, whole bodies, burlap sacks filled with bodies. And they couldn't figure out who did this. 
Now, if you know that stretch of road, and I know it very well, <laughs> I'm off the hook. My, I'm off the hook. I'm suspect is. I'm off the hook. He was from Massapequa. I would never live in Massapequa. Oh, another one of those Massapequa pricks. Uh, yeah. And everyone's acting like, I can't believe someone in my neighborhood did this. I know some people in Massapequa, I, you know, whatever. Well, let's take a peek at Massapequa <laughs> later on and get back to Dildo Beach. And they found bags of disconnected body parts. And then all these years later, because they announced like a year ago, they're going to put together a task force. And you're like, well, what are they going to do now? It's been years since they found the last body. There have been no clues that we've heard anything about. No more. So th suddenly the body source uh, supply just dried up completely. Was there a drought? I don't know, and I got to find out exactly how this happened, because this is the one loose connection I've been figuring out. The story that I saw said a witness from years ago just remembered a car type, and they were able to narrow down that car type to this one house in Massapequa, and then they started following this guy and seeing what's up with him, and they got his DNA off a pizza crust, a pizza bone. That's why you should always eat the pizza crust, Jim, you see? Ah, God damn it! I should have realized it. Always eat the ransom notes and the fucking pizza crust. So they got his hair off a pizza bone, and through that DNA, they were able to link it back. Then they found videos of him buying burner phones, because apparently he wasn't just, like, Googling, like, what's going on with the murder case to see what's up with him. He was getting in touch with the family members and, like, taunting them. <laughs> and now they caught him, and he's, like, a, what, 60-year-old architect. Married, well, uh, two kids. Massive I hope he. Massive uh, I hope park. he's not the one that that designed the jail. They're going to put him in. He'll know all the ways to get out of it. That's interesting. Yeah. See, at least you know, got to close that loophole up. All right. So there's, well, there's no human remains at JimCornette.com, but what there is is wonderful deals, folks. Did I mention the quality merchandise at the low, low prices and the amazing? Wide variety, whether it be DVDs, books, T-shirts, magazines, periodicals, publications, all those type of things, and the Cult of Cornet membership certificates, which can help you, according to the great Brian Last and his minions, enter into the promised land of the magic kingdom of the official Cult of Cornet Facebook group without having to wait as long as everybody else because we're still overwhelmed. But we, we got... We got a few more thousand in now, don't we? Yeah, we have. But by the way, if you send me a picture, and we're still going through them, we've gotten a lot of them, of your certificate, and it's not the same name as the person <laughs> who sent it to me, there may be a problem. If there's that a weird discrepancy, you got to explain yourself. If it says your name is Shithead, but your real name is Mike, you got to explain what the fuck's going on. You mean to tell me that they are trying the trick on you, Brian Last, from the New York metropolitan area who was able to successfully sneak into any adult club underage in the, in the, in the, in the recorded history of New York? They're trying that old, well, this is, this is really my driver's license fucking story on you. That's right. Holy mackerel. You've seen all those tricks. All right, but anyway, if you go to jimcornette.com, you can get all this merchandise, and if anybody wants anything that I'm selling over the next few weeks before we, let's just, word to the wise here, before we have another rush of oncoming traffic, then get it now, and there's practically no waiting at jimcornette.com. There is waiting at the Cult of Cornette Facebook group, but the Cult of Cornette membership certificates can hopefully cut that. It's like a, a VIP card.
you're flashing it and you're getting 25% off your waiting time, right? No, I mean, it's not really like that at all, uh, because every one of the listeners, we want to think of themselves as VIPs. We just need time to get through everything. Oh, so wait a minute. There's so tens of thousands is. of people trying to get in all at once. And what you're saying and is... And I got Lou and Jace holding the gates up, and I've got a machete. Well, if I were you, I'd, I'd have Lou holding the gates. I did Jace is so weak. He couldn't... Goddamn, he's... His legs ought to sue him for non-support. He oh, couldn't hold anything it. up. Leave him alone. Just put Kippelman in there. He's fat enough that if it fell, hey. he'd, just, he'd wedge under it. That's not nice. Um, but anyway, but but yeah, we're trying to get those people in there. But it's not a VIP card, is because everybody's important. It's an elite level card because that makes you elite in the VIPs. The five see star that way, card. everybody gets. It's a five star card. And everybody gets to play. All right. Uh, but we, before we go any further, one of the, the segments, recurring segments on our program that people have come to love and look forward to over the last few months has been absent for a couple of weeks. I have a few backed up. It's, it's been absent from full coverage. We did the programs on YouTube, but I have a few emails backed up. I want to try to catch up and acknowledge some of our fallen friends and comrades. Yes, folks, it's time again for Reggie's Corner. Reggie's Corner. We're here to talk about your good boys and girls. Reggie's Corner. We're so sorry they're dead now. Uh, again, I just yeah. I once don't again know Matt O'Donnell, M A T T O D O N N E L L. Yeah, directed all to him. But um, we heard from Sydney. Not sure where Sydney's from, but um, he recently Australia. lost his. Oh, God damn it. <laughs> oh, the proper, the Christian name of this gentleman writing, not the location that he's writing from. But Sidney lost his little Shih Tzu, uh, Babette, at 15 years old. And there's a picture of Babette. And it's, she's the cutest little thing. But we've heard about a lot of Shih Tzu. Well, not a lot, but a number of Shih Tzus lately. I think we got another one coming up, but they live... Good long lives, 15 years old. Um, but he, uh, obviously, Sydney, we're sorry to hear about that, and and Babette, and Harley Quinn's sitting up here with me today backing me up because she can't go outside because it's raining. Uh, and also we heard from Thomas, who lost his cat, Cammy, who was also known as Turd. She was just <laughs> two and a half years. Well, did, I can see where, hey, come here, you little turd. You know, you little pooper, whatever the case. But she was only two and a half years old. Um, he didn't mention, and I probably didn't want to hear what happened, but we're sorry to hear about Cammy, a.k.a. Turd. And here again, Greg from Canada, another Shih Tzu, uh, Bella, who was 14 years old, and he, she had helped Greg, when his wife passed away in 2018, get through that and... They'd been together for a long time, and the, but then Bella was slowing down recently. So, Greg, we're sorry to hear about Bella. And a guy from your line of their line of the woods, neck of the woods, Brian, Jason from the Bronx. Oh, my line of the uh, train. 
Hey, well, the, your line of the train. See, I, I was going for something somewhere there. Uh, he lost his cat, Ghibli, who was 20 years old. Wow. And again, you know, we talked about this the other day. The cats are outliving the dogs. Is it the male-female thing where the cats drive the dogs to early graves? Anyway, we're sorry to hear, though. I'm sure Ghibli was one of the good ones. Is it wrong that I think of, like, all cats as women and all dogs as men? Well, that's kind of... Kind of the way it, that it, you you commonly think of that, even though when you when you examine it to any degree at all whatsoever, it's complete <laughs> nonsense because there has to be equal number of both, or we wouldn't have any. So uh, apparently, you just never gave it any I didn't more than a passing thought. Yeah, I didn't expect the examination to be now. Well, you know, you can you can exa- do the examination by just picking the tail up and taking a quick look (laughs) anyway alexis from dallas i'm not sure what sex he or she is it could go either way or they or they or they um or you know any any part of the rainbow uh but that person alex alexis i'm sorry lost their best (laughs) friend felix who was well i'm trying now you fucking (laughs) Now that we've, you know, just said there's really no way to tell, but the Alexis who wrote has lost Felix, who was Alexis's best friend, a nine-year-old tuxedo cat who unfortunately developed diabetes and had issues. And um, I used to know a girl named Alexis, and she thought it was like the greatest thing that she owned a Lexus, and it was the stupidest thing. Alexis in her Lexus. She was just like so proud to tell people she owned a Lexus. And then they would put two and two together that it was her name. But it was did stupid. she <laughs> did she have the license plate that says A Lexus? No, someone probably already took it. That's why. Well, see, but then that is it's not complete. So why fuck with that? What are your thoughts on vanity plates? Um, I I like them when they're witty, when they're just like, you know, fucking insurance or whatever, you know, blah. But if you know, I've had a few witty ones. I'm not I'm not gonna mention it. Stace has one, but I'm not gonna mention what it is. You'd be able to look up her license plate. Um Is it pussy? No, it's for heaven's sake. I can't I can't respond because if I tell you what it is and it has ah. a double meaning and it's very witty, but then it would be broadcasting someone's license number all across the fucking world. So it is pussy. Um But I once had racket, R-A-C-K-E-T. <laughs> In 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 North Carolina, the I got fancy. That's I ballsy. Said, That's ballsy on you. Well, but see, nobody knew what the fuck racket, right? Except if they saw me in the car. It's not like they'd they'd see the license plate racket and immediately go, "Oh goddamn, it's Jim Cornette." They might think it was Andre Agassi or Martina Navratilova. Okay, uh, but in in North Carolina, one year I did make the mistake. I was, I got a brand new car and I said, I'm going to be big shit and get a personalized license plate. I got, cause you could get eight characters in North Carolina. So I got M D N T X P R S. But then the fans started figuring it out and I had next year I had to change it. Hey, is that the guy from the racket car? Yeah. It says midnight express on his plate. Yeah. That wasn't a tennis instructor. 
Anyway, sorry, Alexis, about your... Tu- <laughs> Apparently, Alexis has a number of tuxedo cats. They're very loving and beautiful animals. What anyway. do you think of that look? What do you think of that look, the tuxedo cat look? Um, It's very formal. Very formal. I think also they give off a, an air of somewhat British superiority. British? Interesting. Well, you know, like Cadbury or Alfred. Or Jeeves. I see more on the continent, Europe, as opposed to uh, England when it comes to these cats. I don't know how incontinent the people in Europe are, and it's not my position to judge. But anyway, and here's one more. I got to, uh, unfortunately, I got to read this whole thing because this brings up a previous email that we've had from one of the cult members said that, do you remember, said that I've had three of my cats fatally poisoned. I believe my oh, fat God. bastard neighbor is is responsible for this, right? You remember that? I do remember this. It was kind of a crazy story. It was just it was just wild, just wacky. Well, now here's a, a Darren from the UK who may have insight into this. Uh, hello, Jim and Brian. I was listening to your recent inductions into Reggie's Hall of Fame on YouTube. Reggie's Hall of Fame. And one cult member was in touch claiming to have three cats fatally poisoned and his fat bastard of a neighbor who owns pigeons is supposedly the person responsible. As someone who has looked after pigeons, looked after pigeons, I love the way they phrase things over there. Yes, they were a bit down in the dumps. I looked after them. I brought them tea. As someone who has looked after pigeons and assisted my granddad in his hobby of pigeon racing... I would like to confirm from personal experience that cats are a massive thorn in the side of anyone partaking in our dying hobby. We had this one cat who would often stalk our pigeons and could often be seen lying in wait for our pigeons to leave their shed, also known as a pigeon loft, at which point said cat would attempt to assassinate any pigeon it could catch. We initially tried humane efforts to discourage this cat's murderous rampage, including installing high-pitched frequency devices that would, in theory, scare the cat away. And when that didn't work, we simply tried to chase it out of our garden whenever we found it in its usual stalking spot, but the cat continued to return undeterred. So this is a cat on a mission, Brian. This is a driven cat. Cat on a mission. Cat on a mission! Cat on a mission! Where's Oscar when you need him? A few weeks and a few dead pigeons later, my granddad finally had enough and shot the cat with an air rifle. And the cat finally seemed to get the message and ceased his rampage of murder, though I suspect my granddad actually killed the cat and didn't tell me due to my age. What I'm saying is that the fat bastard neighbor almost certainly killed Daisy and her predecessors, and he did it purely because they were regularly attempting to assassinate his pigeons. I don't agree with killing or poisoning someone's cat, but I also don't agree with the ideology that someone's pet cat should be allowed to free roam going around killing someone's pigeons, which is almost certainly what provoked the fat bastard neighbor in question into taking action. Rest in peace, Daisy and her feathered victims but to the owner of Daisy, it might be worth getting a dog next time. Sincerely, Darren. Well, now... You made it sound pretty angry. Well, he seemed pretty hot to me. 
And I think now that all those goddamn nasty cat owners that are victimizing the perpetrators and partakers of the dying hobby of pigeon racing and, and associated pigeon care or pigeon caring for have been suitably chastened by all of this, for heaven's sake. All righty. Uh, did you have any thought on uh, whose side are you on, the pigeons or the cats? I'm Switzerland. You're neutral. That's right. Nothing's going to come between a fur and a feather. Nothing's going to come in between you. I'm on the dog side. There wasn't a dog involved in this equation. And either was I. And you want to keep it that yeah, way. That's right. I'm trying to stay neutral. All righty. I got a, a, an email from Jeff. Uh, won't give his last name. But he says, hi, guys. In the mid-1980s, I only saw WTBS shows when I visited a friend's place who had cable television. Before I was invited over, my friend said on more than one occasion, Bobby Eaton would go up to the top for the Alabama Jam and adjust the setting of the Techwood Drive studio lights before coming off the top. Was the light legitimately in the way, or was Bobby just making it a trademark spot? Is this Reggie's corner? <laughs> no, I would. I've actually had multiple people ask me about this and talk about this, and for such a stupid thing—well, not stupid, but for such a just a spur of the moment thing that he did a few times. People love it. I used to have people at the Fan Fest coming up. So, oh, I remember when Bobby used to move the lights. And I wanted to explain it to Jeff here because he says, for the record, I never actually saw this occur despite being able to watch the NWA more often. And he is thinking his friend lied to him, saying, please confirm if this story is legitimate. And what happened, and you remember seeing that a couple of times, right, Brian, on the tapes from the, Techwood Drive Studio. Yeah, of course. But basically what it was, this was a television studio. It was not built to be a wrestling arena. It was it's a TV studio that they and at the time, you know, people think, "Oh, TBS." Well, this was still in the days of WTBS. They'd been a superstation for fucking 9 years at this point, 8 years, whatever. And they're still at the Techwood Drive location. And it's a TV studio that you see with the local stations do news from or the cooking show or Grandpa Munster did super scary Saturday, you know, his, his creature feature movie from there. Right. And that's why you could only get two rows of seats on one uh, on the back side and two rows of seats on the left side. The right side was a curtain because that was the edge of the studio. And you went down the hallway and. You were out of it, and where the announcers were, that was pretty much the other edge of the studio, right? So the lights overhead were arranged on a grid apparatus, and some were hung from the ceiling, but there was space in the middle where you could put the ring and the guys could still do all the shit they needed to do, right? Not, I don't know about today, where they're... You know, there would be no ladder matches in the studio. The ceiling was 15 feet high or whatever. But every once in a while, they would set the ring up for whatever reason. And sometimes Teddy Long, I think this, this was before Teddy was part of the cruise. I can't blame him. But 
they would set the ring up like two feet to the right or whatever than they normally do. And suddenly Bobby, one day he's climbing to the top rope that he always goes to. And yet he almost always went to the same corner because you couldn't come out of the baby faces corner and you didn't want to come out of the heel corner or the other one, because that was your back is to the, to the main camera. So by process of elimination, he always goes to the same corner. He goes up there and as he's standing up, there's one of those goddamn giant lights in his right in 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 front of him, in right where his head would be. So he realizes it, and without missing anything, he reaches up and just moves it over to the side, and still does knee or whatever he's going to do off the top anyway. And I made mention of it. I said, "You're going to have to raise the lights up because nobody can fly as high as Bobby Eaton." And it was such a cool visual him doing that that he was all the way up in the ceiling that people remembered it. And then it happened like two or three other times, I think maybe, but we referred to it more often than that. But every once in a while, they'd set the fucking thing up two feet farther over and he'd have to move some shit around. And it was cool as shit to look at. When was the first time you saw a wrestler hit the lights? Um, I saw Ricky Gibson cause he used to take that insane backdrop i've never seen anybody else do it not only for height but just the complete form he would if he got a guy that could really boost him dennis condry gave him excellent ones he would come in for the backdrop and as dennis would stand up he would have ricky gibson would have his hands on dennis's shoulders and he would go straight up in the air where his head was you know all the way up as far as it could go and then he would flip forward and Ricky Gibson's head would be above the guy giving him the backdrop. And he'd be, then his feet would be straight up in the air. And then somehow between there and the ground, he would land flat as a board. It was a man it made an incredible sound because that was the squarest 230 pounds coming down as flat as possible. And he kicked the lights a couple times on, uh, at spot shows and I think the old building in Jonesboro. But I tell you, Sputnik Monroe used to fucking win money on that bet, or at least did once in Shreveport. I told you that story. Well, kicking out the lights? Yeah, well, not kicking them out, but just kicking it. There was the old upside-down wash tub in the Memorial Auditorium there in Shreveport, and Sputnik had the guys in the locker room, all the heels bet that he could take the highest backdrop He'd give $20 or whatever to whoever could kick the goddamn lights above the ring. And everybody all night tried to take a backdrop and kick the lights and couldn't. And he was the main event, but the intermission beforehand, he went to the fucking, the maintenance guy at the auditorium that raised and lowered these lights and the curtains and all that thing. And he had them jack the fucking lights down five feet. And then he went out there and kicked them. <laughs> anyway. Was that the end of Reggie's Corner? The, oh, oh, yes, I'm sorry. We've been out of Reggie's Corner. Well, hold on. we got to play this. Oh. This has been Reggie's Corner. Goodbye to our friends on the other side. On the next Reggie's Corner. We'll talk about a bunch more pets who died. <laughs> Good boy. I don't know if we needed that good boy at the end. That's horrible, but oh, again, thank you, Matt O'Donnell.
I'm sorry. I didn't mean to squeeze in uh, a non-Reggie related before we got our outro. But O'Donnell is determined to, to be the most hated human being on the planet. All right, one more thing, and we'll we'll get into the the wrestling news. But uh, this is somewhat news about wrestling. We've been wondering back and forth. Well, the NXT crowd uh, for the TVs, we've heard their friends and family. Is it open to the public? Are they charging for these tickets? We asked many, many questions here a while back on the program. What's going on with that? Well, here is another email from John. Uh, and I don't know where he's from. But he says, I went to see an NXT show last December while on vacation in Florida. So here's how getting the tickets worked. I had to join a Facebook group, which then gave me access to human remains. No, no. Um, <laughs> I had to join a Facebook group. No, that's the human remains are going to be after their NXT careers are over. I had to join a Awful. Facebook group, which then gave me access to an email list, which emails you weekly asking if you want tickets to the following week's NXT. If you reserve tickets with them, the day of the show, you have to show up at Full Sail University where they check your ID, and then they get you into a bus that brings you to the Performance Center where they line you up and you get let in the building. The seats are free for... The seats are a free for... Apparently, this is a stuck computer key here because it just the says... The seats are free? <laughs> I think his his keyboard got a milkshake <laughs> on it or whatever, but the seats are free, and they only have seats on two of the four sides. It probably holds about 300 people. So the NXT national broadcasts hold less people than the Davis Arena did when we were doing OVW for Louisville. Well, he is just guessing. We don't know what the actual number is. Well, I've got, when you're estimating 300, <laughs> the fuck, true. it's going to be 300, 350, 250. It's not going to be 300 or 12,000. I think That's you're true. some. That's true. But so basically, but here's the, you join a Facebook group and get on an email list, which then you'll get an email every week. Do you want some tickets? And you reserve them, but then you got to show up at the college where then you have to show your papers. And then they put you on a bus. This is already sounding a little sketchy. You get, you get an email that says, tell you to come here and show your ID. And then they put you on a bus. And then they, they put you in the building and apparently you can't, you care, not allowed to leave because they control your means of transportation. <laughs> yeah, really? How do you get out of there? So, so you're there for the duration, apparently. Wow. So you're like a WWE prisoner until the end of NXT. <laughs> this is the weekly program that doubles as a hostage situation. That audience seems so odd. I, I can't figure out what it is. Oh, that, that's what it is. They all are hoping they'll get driven back home. <laughs> They're each looking at the other. Would cheer louder, cheer louder. I've got children. <laughs> and no wonder all the signs are coded messages to their wives and kids back home. <laughs> They're feeding me, but I still can't leave. Why is there no cell signal? 
Yeah, that's right. That's why they, when they started the Thunderdome, that was the dome part. Once they get you in it, you can't get service to the outside world. I was starting to calm down, and then some crazy cross-eyed man in a cowboy hat came up to me and said, everything will be okay. <laughs> uh, but apparently that's, uh, that's down there. That's what's going on at the NXT TV tapings. So the, it, it's a motivated <laughs> audience, to say the least, because it, it, they... They haven't paid for anything, so they're not really getting jacked out of their money's worth on anything. They've got some effort into it, but they're motivated because they're the ones that instigated the effort. So it's not like, you know, when you have to go out in an arena for people who paid for tickets and actually not fucking suck because they're going to be a little more critical. So that's an easier way to, to break in. Do they make you sign a waiver before you get on a shuttle bus? To uh, get to the unknown performance center location? <laughs> to basically waive the... If there are still state statutes, even in a place like Florida, against kidnapping and or unlawful detention, you're waiving your... Can we get Steam P. New on that? Can you waive... Can you legally waive your right <laughs> to be unlawfully detained? Or by the very definition of unlawful, it, it you're not allowed to... To bless people to do illegal acts, right? You're not allowed to say, well, you can still break into my store and steal everything, right? That's the next t-shirt, willfully detained by WWE. <laughs> I was willfully detained at NXT. <laughs> All right, well, there's some people being willfully detained by Tony Khan. And uh, they're being willfully detained there because he's paying them a lot of money. But now, apparently... For the first time ever in four years that we can determine, he is actually setting parameters for what you're supposed to do to get that money. I think, I don't know if the kids are familiar with them, but they're called rules. And they just put some out for the absolute first. Can you recall, Brian Last? A time where there has been a statement with any validity from anybody in AEW that has any power, power pull or connections, cachet in the industry, rules for what the fucking talent is supposed to be doing their job by. Only one other time when MJF did an interview somewhere, maybe an Ariel Hawani, I forget where it was, we found that AEW instituted a rule, no more talking to anyone in the media without our permission. Oh, it has that, to go through our office. That was just talking uh, outside the arena. This, so that's a that's a rule, but this is an actual rule or rules related to the wrestlers wrestling and how they're supposed to wrestle and what they're supposed to do and not do. And what have we been saying for four fucking years now since the first program we saw? God damn, Jesus Christ on a cracker. Somebody needs to tell these mullet heads what they should be doing and not doing. Because obviously they're all greener than pepper trees and they're straight off the indies and they've never been on television on cable access, much less national cable. And somebody needs to be guiding these young minds before they all kill each other. Or send this whole company into the fucking toilet because there's nothing else left to do. And four years later, 
Guess what they did? Wouldn't you know who won the pony? And now, Brian, you got the list in front of you, right? I do. Yes, I do. Okay. I read this. This is a list, ladies and gentlemen, that Brian last here in a few minutes when I finish droning on is going to read to you and we're going to discuss of all the things that Tony Khan has said that the wrestlers in AEW are either no longer allowed to do or can only do with approval or blessing by some hopefully more experienced entity that he's going to put in place to do these things. And I've seen shorter instruction forms from the IRS than this list of, they have got, do you, I'm just going to rib you here for a second, Brian, before you read it. Do you think that there is anybody on the roster especially in the heat of a match or in the heat of battle that is going to be able to remember all this shit. And I will postulate that the reason why that none of this shit almost has ever been had to be written down before is because until very, very recently in the wrestling industry, nobody's been stupid enough to try to do this shit to begin with. And now they've got to put out a goddamn list longer than a a list of people named fucking Smith in the United States of America of what not to do because these stupid dumb fucks keep coming up with more shit that they ought to know better than not to do. So that's my comment on the overall scheme of this, but they finally I don't I don't know what what was the straw that broke the camel's back? Why did this why was this list disseminated? I couldn't tell you the straw that broke the camel's back. We've certainly have seen more interviews in public from stars in AEW talking about how they're going to do their style no matter what, and how dare anyone critique their style. Oh, we'll talk about Harpo here in a second. It's not just Harpo. Even that Moxley interview we just talked about on the uh, drive-through. Well, but he's, you know, delusional and potentially malfunctional anyway, so he's always going to say shit like that. But was was there a specific, have we heard, was there a specific oh no moment where somebody realized hey well now here's another one going to the hospital or that guy almost broke his fucking neck and we'd had to pay for a funeral what caused this or was it just somebody getting through to tony that this is not the way to fucking build a wrestling promotion where you were trying to fight the fucking evil empire i think if you're trying to staff up and you're trying to empower your staff to be able to actually do anything in the back if for the four years or so of AEW, the reputation has basically been the agents aren't going to say no. The agents are not going to get in your way. Or can they say no? You're going to do your match. they the pull to say no. Well, exactly. You're going to do your match. And the way I see it is these rules, because we're going to still see everything that's on this list on AEW. It's just this is a way of getting it to go through somebody, as opposed to just go out there and do what you want. It has or- to be approved. Or maybe is this a way to cover somebody's ass so that they've got something on writing when one of these idiots either kills himself or somebody else? Well, look, we told him not to do all this shit. And again, not everything's the same. We'll get to the list in a second. Some things are about wrestlers doing things in the ring. Some things directly concern interaction with fans. So there is a 
There are a variety of things here. This list has obviously been worked on for quite a while, but here is the list. Well, yeah, and, and those that you mention uh, are there to protect them against the lawsuits that I can't believe they're not already defending themselves against. But go ahead. The following needs to be approved going forward in AEW. Spots and bumps on the ring apron and outside. Table, ladder, and chair spots in and out of the ring. And then it says in parentheses, only allowed with padding. Wait, he, <laughs> does, that, does that mean you have to be wearing a hazmat suit? Or does that mean that they're going to put a crash pad underneath all the furniture around the ring so that it looks even phonier than it does now? I think that's or, what it is. You have to land in a Jericho pit. Oh, God, the Jericho pit. What, how about just don't break any more furniture? We've seen enough to last our lifetimes. Any elevated spots outside of the barricade, and then in parentheses here, dives and ladder spots on stage, around the arena, and other places outside of the ring. So you're not allowed to climb up on shit that was out in the crowd amongst the fans that was meant as railings or other type of structures not for people to climb on and jump off of or you're not allowed to set ladders up on the stage or in the arena and climb up on them and jump off on people without the express written permission of major league baseball all pile driver and tombstone variations including sit down drivers inverted poison hurricane rana and vertebrakers Vertebraker. Almost all these moves are vertebrakers. Um, the pile the, drivers banned once again. How about that? Well, <laughs> but see, at least they're only going to go halfway with it because, by God, to get it over in Tennessee, Goulas and Welch went to the athletic commission, had it banned for a shoot. Again, the the reverse poison hurricane Rana or whatever the fuck what they call it is. That's what they just did that off the top rope on their Wednesday night show that we'll talk about in a minute. And that was the stupidest thing I've ever seen. And I'd have fired both guys because why would you risk your life for a goofy looking move that doesn't even look good? A, a leaping pile driver from bruiser Bob Sweetan was a lot safer and looked a lot better than that goofy move where you almost break your neck and nobody can see where they're going. But again, uh, how many people have you seen? A ridiculous amount. Pile drivers, one, two count, leaping pile drivers, tombstone pile drivers. It's Statlander's finish. I don't know if she ought to be doing it because of her bad knees, but hers doesn't particularly look that good either. The last one I saw, she kind of did it sideways. So when you're limiting these things, but only with permission, then all it's doing is setting the agents up to get heat. Well, it's Statlander's finished. Does she have to quit? But I can't when he tells somebody you can't use that because you're fucking sloppy with it. Well, somebody else is doing it. Well, they're better than, than you are at it. Well, and that's creating arguments. Just don't do stupid shit. Go ahead. High-risk dives or top-rope moves, and in parentheses, 450, 630. Double moonsaults. What about, what about 720? SSP, etc. And also it has here with no period, but I assume this is a separate thing. Intentional bleeding, and then in parentheses, of any sort. 
not just blading. What what does that mean? What what well, of, let me what means you can't do a hard way either on purpose. Oh yeah, I guess that is exactly what that means. But God damn, I wouldn't let anybody on this fucking roster hard hard way me to begin with. I don't see a Harley race here. And but now <laughs> that means that whoever all these agents are, producers, or people who are gonna have to clear this shit. Can you imagine in one of the Lucha Brothers matches or in one of the, any of these matches, they're going to have to sit there and listen to, and then I'm going to go to the top and I'm going to flip off and die. I'm going to fly. And then I'm going to go to the top and I'm going to flip off and die. And then I'm going to go to the top. And then both of us are going to flip off. And then we're both going to flip off again over and over in these matches to clear it or not. My God. And so, yes, Moxley is obviously the, the target of the no, no cutting yourself in on camera, no getting juice without us telling you to when it's called for. That's never had to be written down before. You had to be one of the biggest stars in the business or be given your notice and on the way out of the territory at any point in time to get juice in a god on a goddamn show where you weren't supposed to and weren't told to. But again, AEW was established as the Wild West with no leadership, with no one who was going to really put their foot down and no one who wanted to upset the wrestlers. So well, everyone got away with everything forever. Who's going to enforce this, I wonder? Who's the new sheriff? Did they bring Blackjack Mulligan in to enforce this? Well, let's get back to these rules. Another thing that needs to be Im improved. Approved. Well, probably improved too, but approved. Throwing people into, through, and over ring steps, commentary <laughs> table, bell table or guardrails barricades and also weapon usage jesus christ again <laughs> how are these agents going to have time to to tuck their children in bed and eat one meal a day with just to go through a bbc match on the floor or just to any weapons match that they do with the girls it'll take a fucking year Okay, well, now we're going to hit the uh, little Gladys there with the cowbell. And then somebody's going to come in with a wheelbarrow, and it's going to be full of fucking live piranha. Uh, so, yeah, again, this is stuff that would never even have needed to be discussed in almost any other era because you knew that unless you were told or instructed to have specifically that kind of match, that would be the kind of match you're going to have that night on that show. One of those kind of matches that you wouldn't even be thinking of doing it. All right, go ahead. And let me just say, I actually had this wrong. I went to a different website now to see this. Intentional bleeding was separate from high-risk dives and moves, and weapon usage, which we're about to get to, was separate from throwing people into the steps and stuff. <laughs> weapon usage. The following weapons need to be approved oh, before boy. usage. Switchblades, pistols, chairs, blackjacks, chairs, grenades. <laughs> well, there's a plane going overhead. And there it goes. Chairs, pipes, kendo sticks, hammers, ring bells, bats, chains, etc. Title belts, thumbtacks, skewers, barbed wire, and other sharp puncturing objects or powders, aerosols, sprays, or liquids. God damn. Chairs, chains, bottles, rocks, brick sticks, pots, pans, and tin cans. 
Also, no throwing of any weapons or objects, chairs, etc. But wait, wait a minute, wait a minute, let's back up for a second. Because you know now all the young wrestlers that were going to come in and say, boy, I'm going to get to be on TV tonight, I'm wrestling on AEW television, I've only been in the business for nine months or a year, I was going to go up to the producer and say, hey, can I use this Swiss Army knife on my opponent tonight in my wrestling match? And now I can't. But I could still use skewers. Well, no, you have to get those approved. So, yeah. Sorry, sorry, Mox. Uh, also, no choking or strangling with hands or a weapon. What? And no hanging spots. Oh, okay. That's ridiculous. Because that's fucking safe. Well, definitely the strangling and the choking. But then if you know what you're doing, the hanging spot is safer than almost anything that any of their girls' matches have on a weekly basis. So that's just stupid. That's a way you can simulate violence safely. Yeah, but that could be less about the safety aspect, more about the network aspect. Oh, good God. You can say fuck, but you can't grab somebody by the goozle pipe. Danielson was fired from WWE for choking Justin Roberts with his tie during an invasion angle. Yes, but that was WWE, and they're all a bunch of pussies. <laughs> well, I, what I'm going by what I'm seeing on this television, they're fucking offensive. They have people, they have Moxley sliced himself with razor blades. They had him have a garbage match with the bank-addicted drug robber. There's people he didn't blurting have a match out. With him. Um, that was Jericho. Whoever the fuck it was, they had a match with with the guy. They blurt out fuck and shit and goddamn and all this other stuff, and the crowd chants that. I think they're okay with grabbing somebody around the fucking neck. And once again, these are the things that require pre-approval. After this, we'll go through the things that are just outright banned. Oh, thank God there's something that they just gave the heave-ho heave to. But also requiring pre-approval, injury spots or angles, whether or not medical is involved or called to the ring. Also... So this apparently means that some of the guys have just decided to play hurt in the middle of the match or do some type of injury angle on their own? Yeah, why else would that be a rule? And that's, again, this is like telling, I can understand having all these rules for school children who had not existed in society until, you know, they were fucking sent to, you know, kindergarten or whatever, but these are supposed to be professionals. How do you not know all these things to begin with? Also requiring pre-approval, any physicality in the crowd or crowd brawling as well as any physicality involving referees, managers, extras, celebrities, or special guests. <laughs> okay, here is... I'm going to get you to enumerate those in a second here, but yes, there should be no touching of the referee unless called for it by the booker, right? Yes, there should be no touching of... Who were the other people? Go by one at a time. Leave manager till last. Extras. Extras. Okay. If again, if that's if extras are the job guys that are being running in to do a pull apart, then what are you fucking running them in there for? Keep going. Celebrities. 
celebrities, of course you don't fucking touch the goddamn celebrities unless it's an angle and you've already gone over it. That's that's Dr. D. That's I mean, yeah, that that is basically no, no, you you should know that. You don't touch the celebrities. Keep going. And finally, special guests. I don't know who the fuck that is, but with managers on that list, I can't imagine how we would have been laughed out of the building if we had gone and had to ask Dusty, hey, do you mind if Ricky Morton stomps my fingers in this spot right before we get the heat? That's part of having the match. Your ma- your manager is part of the match. So, no, you shouldn't goddamn hold him down in the ring and brand him with a red-hot poker or, you know, fucking give him the deliverance routine and take all the heat off of him. But if if everyone is in agreement in the match that the manager can interfere or get a little comeuppance in the finish or get, you know, pissed off in the shine or whatever, that's part of the fucking match. I, I wouldn't think that would need to be cleared. This, that's a minor thing on this major list. Keep going. Well, these are now the list of band moves and actions. Chair shots to the head. Chair shots to the back of the head. Well, and hold on a second. Again, we went through this in Ring of Honor 10 years ago when they were another thing. Oh, concussions. Well, yes, CT is a real thing and concussions are a problem. And the vast majority of concussions in wrestling until modern times were not caused by chair shots to the head. It was only ECW and all that other horse shit that led to real chair shots to the head. There's never been a chair shot to the back of the head that was in the territory days of wrestling because the rest of the locker room would have probably jumped the guy that did it and beat the shit out of him because you don't hit people in the back of the head with a chair shot. That's modern too. But what they're doing by banning or banning that outright instead of making that one of the agent can approve is then you've lost something else that you can do like the hanging safely and simply and easily by just making sure that the guy knows how to fucking swing the chair and the other guy knows how to take it. And so you're saying that Arn Anderson, who works there, if it couldn't say, well, Bobby Eaton could fucking hit me over the head every night for a month with a chair and I would never have a fucking issue. But this goofy green son of a bitch over here, because he can't hit anybody with a chair without giving them brain damage, we ban it for everybody. See, now that they, they're trying to do good, and they don't even know how to do good, because their fucking guys have poisoned the goddamn well of working. Go ahead. They didn't ban the hanging. They just said that needed pre-approval. They banned the chair shot okay. to the head. So, well, say so even worse then. They... they they ban the chair shot to the head outright, whether you know what you're doing or not. And there's an art to it. And nobody get hurt if you do it right. Well, I guess the problem is you would think at some point you would need to do that. And now when you do it, you're going to be going back on these rules. And then other guys are going to start complaining. They're going to want to do it. But anyway. Yeah. Also ban the buckle bomb. Applause. That's stupid. Something where a guy's going blind and taking a bump where he can't see where he's headed is stupid. Moves where a wrestler falls backwards into a turnbuckle. 
which Buckle Bomb would fall under, I guess. I, I guess another way of saying it. Imitating concussion or seizure symptoms while selling a move. What? A.K.A. the Brian Danielson Law. Well, wait, wait a minute. So they're saying that you can't work that you have a concussion or that you're going into a seizure even though you're not really hurt and you're not. Well, that's just stupid. I guess they think it's such a sensitive thing and they got negative yes. feedback after Danielson did it that they're spooked. Oh, for fuck's sake. Fuck, it's sensitive. That's why you should do more of it because it, people are sensitive about it. You know, let me stop here because that brings up an interesting question. If we all know a wrestler, let's say Danielson because that's who I'm thinking of here, but it could be any wrestler. If you know a wrestler, it could be Matt Hardy. If you know a wrestler's had a lot of concussions, if you know a wrestler's banged his head a lot, and you could do something safe with them and make a play on it, Shawn Michaels passing out in the ring, are we now to believe that that is not allowed? That somehow is off limits? That's playing insane. on the actual injury that people know about? If I've got a baby face that has been out with a concussion problem, the first thing I'm going to do is have somebody hospitalize him with a goddamn leaping pile driver on a metal chair and let him spend the next six to eight weeks fighting his way back into the ring to get even with that son of a bitch. Also banned spitting. <laughs> and also sticking your gum under the desk. Bleeding while in the crowd. You think. And, and again, people laugh about this because they... The modern fans laugh about being concerned about something like that because they're living in that goofy world where, oh, I got some of his blood on me when they fought by. The state of Indiana, as you'll recall, the health department sent out a notice last year for everybody who went to this fucking goofy garbage outlaw wrestling show in Indiana to go have be checked by the health department for bloodborne diseases because of the shit that went on there and somebody goes and gets checked and has hepatitis A, B, C, D, E, G, F, or fucking Z and nobody can prove they didn't have it before they went to that fucking thing and they sue Tony Khan and they're living on the French Riviera, whatever the fuck. It's just goddamn common sense. Also banned? Using weapons or projectiles in the crowd. <laughs> And that, uh, actually, I don't know if you want me to go through them real quick. The last few here are all about the crowd throwing anything with blood on it into the crowd, taking food and drinks from fans in the crowd, and finally making contact with fans in the crowd. In the crowd. What have we been saying on this show since before there was an AEW when they were just doing it at the Indies? How fucking insane are you people? I Every time I have... For the last 15 years that I've done an independent show, I've tried to explain to the promoters where they had that type of thing. You know you're going to get sued sooner or later, right? With what you're doing here for no fucking reason. Just because you you watched ECW on TV when you were a kid. It, it's, it's, again, common sense and something that never happened in the territory days for a variety of reasons. One of which nobody wanted to get sued. And two of which, if you fought in the crowd in those days, somebody would get stabbed and not the fans, the wrestlers. So you didn't do that because it was stupid. But uh, again, you know, 
it's all fun and games until, you know, my little sister fucking Myrtle gets her front teeth kicked out by some guy in the BBC taking a bump off the fucking railing from the buckaroos after their triple jump fucking Lindy off the goddamn lighting grid. Five stars. Five stars. So, they've at least tried to give the wrestlers some rules. Most of those rules are ones that we've been saying that they should be doing or stop doing ever since they've been in, in existence. Some of them are stupid because it's, they're rules on there, like with the chair to the head or like with some of the other things, just because their goddamn talent doesn't know how to work and nobody has been allowed to be in charge of them up till now, so they've ended up with everybody doing all this shit meaninglessly over and over. And now, you know, they're still going to have to approve a lot of that stuff, as we said, or elsewise all their fans are going, well, the, it's boring now. They just, they just look like stars and wrestle. They don't do all the shit with the fucking furniture. So who's going to get approved and who's not? Who's going to get their feelings hurt? Because we know they're a sensitive bunch. Well, he wouldn't let me do my flying fucking zippity doo da, because he said I, I might land on the guy again and break his face like I did last time. So I'm mad at him, whoever the producer is. And who's going to be the ultimate authority in all this? Tony Khan, he's a big footer putter downer. So I don't know whether they even expect this is going to fly or not, or whether they're just doing it to cover their ass in case a dead wrestler's family or a alive infected fans family decides to sue on somebody's behalf. But now you would think, Brian, since this list is coming from the top, this dictum is being handed down from the office that all the administrative help of the AEW empire would be on board with this. They'd all be pulling the same rope, all the top wrestlers and especially ones who have been, trusted with office positions would be, yes, we got to do this. And of course, standing right in the front of the line to say, yes, we need some guidance is of course the star of our show, Twinkle Toes McFingerbang, who has just done an interview saying, don't tell me how to fucking wrestle. <laughs> can, can we get some enlightenment on uh, Harpo's comments on this topic? Well, this is an article, a surprise, surprise, from SI.com by Justin Barrasso, July 13th, 2023. Ah, Justin, Justin, I know you got to support all those illegitimate kids, but you're, you're integrity, man. Kenny Omega dismisses critics who say he's too reckless. Quote, just shut the fuck up. <laughs> Some observers thought the Tiger driver in his match against Will Ospreay was needlessly dangerous. Now, Me now, wait, now, wait a minute. Wait a minute. You just blew by that like everybody knows what a fucking tiger driver is. 98. It's where, is that the year? Was that the vintage? 93. 94. That's where Excalibur 95. got that commentary style from. He's been drinking Thunderbird with a vintage, <laughs> vintage of Tuesday. <laughs> but anyway, so... Where was I going? You distractify You tell me. I didn't. We'll both know. That's what Tiger Bob Driver Burnett used to say. The Tiger Driver. It's where 
ostrich picked him up like for a double arm pedigree or whatever the fuck and turned him upside down and just let him go. And remember when we called at the time, we said it didn't, it didn't look like a botch. It looked like he actually meant to do it. Come to find out the fucking morons meant to do it. He picked Kenny up and dropped him right on his fucking head. And Kenny's head and neck folded up in between his shoulders and the mat. They're fucking idiots. They don't know how to work, so they work shitty and say it's on purpose. But again, the sub-headline here, some observers thought the Tiger driver in his match against Will Ospreay was needlessly dangerous. Omega doesn't want to hear it. Now again, the last article was a bit of a puff piece on Moxley. Let's see how this one goes. Transcendent athletes need the opportunity to create. If you wouldn't tell Patrick Mahomes how to play wait, quarterback... Wait, wait, wait a minute. Is this the article or is this Kenny's quotes about himself? No, this is the article part. I'll tell this you what it's a quote. This is the article. The first comment was transcendent athletes... Need the opportunity to create. Oh, God. If you wouldn't tell Patrick Mahomes how to play quarterback or question the way Nikola Jokic operates his inside-outside game... Wait a minute, wait a minute. Who's, who does Nick Jokic play for? He's a Serbian basketball player here in the States now. Uh, and he's pretty good. Uh-huh. Or it, even, he, gets, he, he gets in the locker room with the name Jokic. He's already tougher than anybody on the AEW roster. Or even the finer points of hitting or pitching to Shohei Otani. Then why are people telling Kenny Omega how to wrestle? Oh, good Lord. It is a question Omega has grappled with since last month's Forbidden Door pay-per-view. This isn't... The only thing that Kenny's been grappling with since last month's Forbidden Door pay-per-view was what he's containing in his right or left hand, depending if he's ambidextrous. (laughs) I've heard he can do both. (laughs) Hold on. That isn't to imply... Omega discarded people's genuine well wishes after taking a devastating-looking Tiger driver at the pay-per-view, where he was effectively dumped on his head by Will Ospreay. Omega appreciates people caring about his health, but also feels he has earned the right as an artist to wrestle a style that he believes will be the most effective. Omega's creativity was on full display at Forbidden Door against Ospreay. This was a rematch of their exceptional bout. Omega's Omega's creativity was on full display when both of them landed on their heads multiple times in the course of the evening. This was a rematch of their exceptional bout at Wrestle Kingdom in January. And somehow, the sequel exceeded the original. An integral reason why the match was so emotional was the Tiger Driver. What? Throughout the story of the match, Osprey could not muster the strength to break Omega's fighting spirit So he, I can't believe this. So he instead broke him with the Tiger Driver, which led to the finishing sequence. Sports Illustrated? Just shy of the 40-minute mark. Let's stop for a second. This is SportsSI.com. Nothing more needs to be said. In the ensuing weeks, Omega has repeatedly heard that the move is too dangerous, yet he is the painter holding the brush. <laughs> and ultimately, he decides how the art unfolds on the canvas. He's fucking that dog. You're just holding his head. <laughs> Here's a quote from Kenny Omega There are a lot of people criticizing who don't have my best interests at heart. 
More, says, more breath, more breathiness. It's hard. I haven't done this one in a while. I'm thinking of Kevin Patrick. Says Omega, who is 39-year-old Tyson Smith. They just, I'm, I'm just going to read his quotes. They yeah. just want to put a dark mark on that match, which is a performance I'm extremely proud of. And performances like that will be few and far between as I get older and older. Well, we can thank goodness for that. Providing insight into why the move was so valuable to the heartbeat of the match, Omega shared a detailed view of its significance. In terms of a live and physical performance, I've never seen anything more mind-blowing, skill-wise, performance-wise, production-wise, than Cirque du Soleil, says the Canadian-born star, who was honored He did No, he- What now? You're fucking making shit up. I, I swear to God, I just read this and thought they wrote it for you. This is exactly Wait, what Wait, I was about says. to say, no, nobody's <laughs> believing this now. You're doing this. What? In terms of live and physical performance- Pinky, pinky swear he said this. I pinky swear both pinkies. In terms of a live and physical performance, I've never seen anything more mind-blowing, skill-wise, performance-wise, production-wise- then Cirque du Soleil. Oh my God, does anybody wonder why I couldn't be in a room with this fucking guy for five minutes? Says the Canadian-born star who was honored to wrestle one of the more spectacular matches of his career at Forbidden Door in Toronto. Here's a quote. To me, that's the peak form of that style of entertainment. As I watch these shows, and their stunts, and their compositions for every scene, it is rare for me to go, that looks easy, I could do that. But there certainly are times when I watch what they do and know this is their identity. And that is the reason why is they're he on, on that fucking stage. drugs? During the high flying acrobatics and seamless. <laughs> During the high flying. <laughs> you swear to God, he's saying these words. I swear to God, this is the article here. This is not AI or Owl or whoever wrote this. During the high-flying acrobatics or seamlessly strung-together choreography, I never go, how stupid is this guy? If he falls, he's dead. We'd be dead if we tried that. But here's the thing. We're not them. We'll never be them. We weren't meant to be them. Omega possesses a steadfast confidence which is a prerequisite for any talent at the top of their field. How is he confident? He just said he'll never be them. That belief, well, that's interesting. He's saying that he's not good enough for Cirque du Soleil. What do you think of that? I agree with him. That belief is rooted in his preparation. During Forbidden Door, that belief, which could have hindered someone unprepared or reckless in the moment, brought his match with Osprey to an entirely different level. Back to Omega. There are people who want to complain and put themselves on a pedestal by saying what we did was dangerous. Well, you think? So I've been asked, why did we do it? It made more sense in the match and evoked emotion. And we both knew I would end up coming out of the move unscathed. Is there risk? Sure. There's always risk. Look at the way Mike Tyson boxed. His style was so dangerous. He stayed so close to his opponent. What was he doing boxing in style? Is that what it says? What was he doing boxing in style? Shouldn't he have fought more stick and move and waited for the counterpunch? Wouldn't that have been better for his brain? Didn't he understand how dangerous it was? 
But that's what made him Mike Tyson. No, he was too busy knocking other motherfuckers out. But that's what made him He Mike was Tyson. never a goddamn surgeon. I don't know if he's any stupider now than he was 30 years ago. Did I miss a bunch of Mike Tyson getting knocked out? No, all of a sudden he went to Mike Tyson after they brought up that his real name is Tyson. I'm not sure what the yeah. connection there well, is. He, he was at Cirque du Soleil a minute ago now. Is he a dancer? Is he a goddamn boxer? Well, going back to that comparison here, it is no different with Omega. To reach his absolute best, Omega must be afforded the space to create his own work. This is right before AEW instituted all those rules. <laughs> I must be given this space. Has, nobody has explained. Look, what is the Tiger driver supposed to look like? Does it end up with you just picking a motherfucker up and just dropping him freestyle on his head every time? Or is there a way that it actually looks like a wrestling move you'd mean to do? And if so, then why didn't they do it like that instead of just picking the aforementioned motherfucker up and dropping him right on his head? Don't tell me not to wrestle the way I know how to wrestle. Uh, well, is there a risk? Oh, that one writes itself. Is there a risk? Was there a risk when Mike Tyson was fighting within inches of space with... <laughs> I can't take the way this guy like thinks and talks. Was there a risk when Mike Tyson was fighting within inches of space between another championship level boxer throwing power punches? Of course. But Tyson was confident in his abilities, and he knew he was the best. So don't tell Mike Tyson how to box, and don't tell Tyson Smith how to wrestle. Oh, you aren't even close to being qualified. Shut the fuck up! Omega's fire embodies the passion he embeds into his craft. For Omega... He doesn't look like he would be passionate if somebody poured lighter fluid in his crotch and set it on fire. He would still have that same slow, dull-witted fucking look. For Omega, this is more than his job. It is his livelihood. Now. Wait a minute. Isn't that the same thing? <laughs> Hold on here, sir. I'm not reading that. I'm going to... I'm going to the American Heritage Dictionary 3rd Edition. <laughs> Keep reading. I'll be back. Now, only days before AEW brings blood and guts to Dynamite, Omega returns to AAA for a rematch against Vikingo at Triple Mania. And then it goes into, uh, I have some quotes here. Let me scroll down a little bit. About Vikingo, have you found livelihood? Well, hold on. I, actually, we got living. That's close. Um. Living, another of the meanings is a manner or style of life, a livelihood, and a living, let's see, job, job, J, hold on. Those are uh, pieces of paper that you hear uh, for, yes. the, for the younger members of the audience who haven't heard this sound before. Well, as, uh, how else can you flip through the fucking dictionary? Job. A regular activity performed for payment, a position in which one is employed, a task that must be done, a specified duty or responsibility, a specific piece of work to be done for a set fee. Yep, job and livelihoods, living, pretty much the same thing. Okay, go ahead. Well, here's some quotes from Kenny about Vikingo. I had this opportunity with a star, someone who people around the globe will embrace. <sighs> And it was a matter of doing the hard introduction on our television in a main event position with no backstory. Says Omega, who is also one of AEW's original executive vice presidents. 
it was a tough position to suddenly have someone unknown to AEW issue a challenge. Looking back, it was very unique. I am always up for the challenge, and working with someone like Vikingo is always going to be a pleasure. We hadn't had a chance to mix it up, and I wanted that opportunity. You know, he speaks in English like I imagine he would in Japan trying to communicate with someone who didn't understand English. <laughs> like, it's like very basic ways of speaking, right? He's in, he's in such a habit of, of speaking to people whose English is a second language that it sounds like it's his, too. And Vikingo is a guy that people around the globe are going to embrace. Possibly pickpockets. Being the one to introduce him to our fan base was a heavy responsibility. But I wanted to make sure that anyone criticizing that Vikingo didn't deserve that spot saw exactly who he was. Let's talk a little bit more about Vikingo and AAA. There are still a portion of fans who discredit the Lucha Libre style. To them, maybe it's too flippy or fast, or looks like gymnastics. But this is an art form. Culturally, it's very significant to the people of Mexico. The style transcends the sport itself. And it is so prominent there. Lucha Libre is the... He's, now, wait, he's not saying anything untrue there. No. And I have no argument with that statement that he just made. He's kind of just the, saying what anyone would know about Lucha Libre. <laughs> and the, the statement that I'm arguing with is that people around the globe will embrace Vikingo because he ain't Rey Mysterio, as we'll talk about here later on. Go yeah, ahead. And that's really, you know, I'm going to stop there because the rest of this is all Vikingo. Uh, it's all about that. So I guess he was going to interview him about the Vikingo thing. And then the real story is about the Tiger Driver. And that got buried in the story about Vikingo. Because his, his lips are chapped, along with various other parts of his anatomy, that people said, what is this stupid son of a bitch doing? Like they always say about his matches. What is this stupid son of a bitch doing? And he, he tells, he basically, he makes a, a preemptive strike because that interview was done right before this list came out. Yeah. So he made a preemptive strike against his employer saying, fuck you, I'll do what I want. Cartman, Kenny Cartman. Moxley did an interview with SI with the same writer saying that he's all for blood in every single match. And if you tell him that he needs blood to have a good match, that is his argument. He wants to bleed in every match. Omega does this interview defending the Tiger Driver. Don't tell me how to wrestle. Now that we're being told you're not allowed to do those pile drivers at all anymore, not needing approval, they're banned. And the blood, you need permission every single time you do it. So they're certainly reacting to a lot of the public comments, it seems, that their top guys are making. You know, I remember when they came out and told us what the rules were when I was in second grade, a bunch of the kids didn't like them. What did they do? Well, they didn't follow them. And then the teacher had to spank them and call their parents. You, but think, since you think Tony Khan should start calling the wrestlers parents? Well, he's already used several on the show. That's true. Trent's mom runs a cab service. So, but I'm afraid that Tony's not a good spanker. I'm afraid he doesn't have a lot of experience spanking people. You don't think Tony Khan could spank someone? Actually, I don't think he could either. Not I was better, well, how big is that person? How old are they? Are we talking about... <laughs> You know, five-year-olds, six-year-olds. 35-year-old blonde in a hotel room. Could he spank her? Oh, God, no. No. Not a chance. Probably doesn't even have his own paddle. Well, anyway. Happy. I'm happy to hear she got off easy. 
No, it it was not easy at all for her to get off because he couldn't spank her. <laughs> I guess in my eyes, she was being held captive by Tony Khan. <laughs> I didn't think of the idea she wanted to be there. I'm sorry. I well, guess. What in the world is the matter with you thinking things like that about people doing things? Maybe, maybe Tony has a Facebook group where he offers people free tickets and he sends a car to pick them up and they end up in Tony Khan's hotel. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Either that or they they end up as a part of a human remains ring. Just depends on what Facebook group you stumble across. <laughs> so let's go now to Tony's program, AEW from last Wednesday night, before we talk about the SmackDowners and things and such of that nature. Um, because, and actually, I've, I, I, I remembered Vikingo, but it was the other, the discount Vikingo, Commander. Commander. That was on this program because basically they do the same shit and they both wear a mask and mostly a full body suit. So, you know, what the fuck? It, the confusion could be well, easily understood. They're very different. Vikingo does a lot of spectacular things. Commander's thing specifically is the running of the ropes, which <laughs> it doesn't matter when or how far away someone is, he's going to do it. No matter how long they have to wait for him. <clears throat> well, and they're going to be there when he when he fucking lands. I'll tell you that. Too. No, here was the thing. The AEW Wednesday night, July 12th, starts out with Chris Jericho versus Commander with Alex in his corner. And the, the, the story is not the match. We'll talk about a few things in it. Oh, it was great. But uh, it was the best the Jericho story. match I've seen in forever. Why would you book this? <laughs> Why, if you were Tony Khan, why would you book this? If you're Chris Jericho, why did he not tell him not to book this? And I believe I have the answer. But here, here's the setup. Here's what people saw tuning into this program. If they're tuning into AEW Wrestling on a Wednesday night, they see Chris Jericho, former WWF champion, major name in the business. He comes out playing his song. He's a name. The fans are singing the song. He's the heel, but they're cheering the shit out of him because he's Canadian and they're still in Canada. My God, somebody needs to send these people a fucking care package or maybe we can do a hostage trade. They're still in Canada. But Jericho's Canadian. He's over in this fucking crowd. And then here come, I can see where if people were watching television, they think, okay, Here's Chris Jericho. I know him. Here's a wrestling program. The people are cheering for him. Let's see what's going on. And then here comes a pipsqueak in a mask, wearing a blanket, with an obnoxious heel manager that we don't really know who the fuck he is, and he doesn't speak anymore. And the entrance is so underwhelming that even the people in the arena are staring blankly. And... They try to make up for the fact that nobody knows who the fuck this guy is by reminding us via B-roll in the entrance that this is the guy that does the synchronized diving with no swimming pool. Because that's what they just show him doing that. And I wrote, why would you book this? <laughs> Style clash. Even if you think Jericho is still tearing it up in the ring, his work is still great for whatever reason. He... <laughs> Commander does his shit with other small guys who can fly, and Jericho can't do that. 
And Jericho is old enough now that he needs to work American style and smart or logically. And there's no way in fucking hot hell that Commander can do that. So the only thing that I had to summarize this was that Jericho wanted to work with and beat another of the guys that the Indie Mud Show fans are loving and digging on this month. And he was really willing to risk this fucking guy landing on his face, which he almost did, to do that. Because there's no other, this couldn't have possibly been a good match, and it meant nothing for Jericho to beat this guy, except to Jericho. Well, Jericho's lucky. You said he had to worry about the guy landing on his face. Typically, the guy just lands right next to Jericho, it seems like. Well, that was the way it, it ended up in this one, but anyway... They, and this guy can do amazing flips and handstands and gymnastics. And maybe he should pursue Cirque du Soleil. Maybe Kenny's got an in there. He seems to be a regular patron. But when Commander actually does a move, well, he didn't do any particular wrestling moves, but when he does any move to somebody, it either misses, it barely connects, or it looks like a herky-jerky tater. His strikes are rotten. The basics are non-existent. You can't even tell, you know, the other guy has to stand there and watch him take 30 seconds to get wherever he's going and come off or sees him coming from a mile away. And here's the thing. This is not Rey Mysterio. There's no split-second timing. There's no physical charisma. There's no fire and energy that you can see of facial expression even through the mask. There's no the specialness of Ray. There is this tiny guy in a mask doing gymnastic moves to a guy in a wrestling ring. And Jericho would let him do some shit and then cut him off and slow it down and then Commander would open up 100 miles an hour again to do something and Jericho would shut it off. But as it went, on so long, Jericho's flipping the crowd, double birds constantly. Did that make the list? They didn't even say anything about language or vulgarity. Not yet. At one point, Jericho took a bump off the ropes and landed and then obviously scooted into position and waited motionless with his arms out, laying there for 10 seconds while the commander did a tight rope walk, backflip, splash off onto him. And then he did the deal where he walked the top rope from corner to corner, jumped off the other top rope, flipped and spun in the air, and Jericho waited with his arms outstretched on the floor to catch him, and Commander went right past him, and Jericho went down anyway. And But the biggest one, and this was on Twitter, Jericho's laying there in the ring, again, flat of his back, Commander turns his back on Jericho, jumps to the top rope, springs boards off, and turns around into a flipping one-and-a-half revolution cannonball. And apparently Jericho saw as the guy was coming fast and out of control, he's, this is going south, and you see him start to put his arms up like, oh, fuck. And Commander, <laughs> instead of splashing Jericho, which apparently was going to be the move, he undershot his rotation and just landed on his feet and ass right next to Jericho, slapping Jericho on the stomach with his right hand in the process. And then covered him and got a two count. 
It was he worth it. He fell on his ass right next to the motherfucker, barely touched him, and Jericho still lets him cover him? Was he just wanting it to be over with quickly at that point? Uh, so anyway, Jericho got him with the walls of Jericho. 13 minutes, bell to bell. Somebody do the research. Did Chris Jericho, at one point in his career, win the WWF title quicker than he just beat Commander fucking Farquhar here? I love this match. I put on Twitter that it was my favorite Jericho match in a long time. People couldn't tell if I was being funny or being serious. Both. Both. I'll be honest, I think Jericho looked good in this. Commander looked awful. What, was, it, was it the grading on a curve? Was it, yes, Jericho was laying the chops in, he was controlling as best he could the fucking tempo, but did he just look good because the other guy was just shit? I think it was, you know, you're right that Jericho shouldn't be working the style that he does at his age and his physical abilities that he has right now, but he certainly shouldn't be working this match with this guy, and that's why I was looking forward to this match when they announced it, because I couldn't even imagine, like, how the hell are they going to do this? And I almost felt for Jericho, because there were a few times you saw him standing there just looking, waiting for this guy to run. And like, Vikingo, it's one thing, because whether it's holding onto your wrist and doing the jumping on the ropes or just doing incredible flips onto a downed opponent. That's one thing. When you have to, every single time, we've seen it now multiple times, catch your breath, make sure you don't fall, get your balance. The other guy's standing there waiting or laying on the ground and looking up, waiting for it to happen. And then the guy weighs 130 pounds, so it doesn't look that great. It wasn't worth it. He missed everything. Every time he jumped from the ring to the floor, he landed next to Jericho. And he's a little guy. I mean, that's the kind of guy you think Jericho can actually catch and do something with. No, every time. Jericho looked fine in this, I think. But Commander, to me, and I know he's one of the top young Lucha guys right now, I've seen everything he does, and it's unimpressive. The only thing that's impressive is the tightrope walk. And I've seen that. Well, that's impressive, but not in a context of a wrestling match. It would be impressive if somebody came out and painted the goddamn Mona Lisa, you know, in the middle of a wrestling match. But it wouldn't make any sense. So I got a kick out of the match for what it was. And like I said, I was watching it. I thought the problem was Commander's very limited in what he could do. And he's really just a high spot guy. And we've seen what his high spots are. And Jericho's working with a guy that the style is just going to be such a ridiculous style clash. What's he going to do? I thought Jericho did as good as he could. <sighs> well, it wasn't over. Because here came Don Fallis to the ring with his microphone. I love his entrance music. It's the only sound that could be as annoying as his voice. Don wants Jericho still to join the family, the Don Callis family. And he played a, a VTR on the screen of a Tony Candelo show from 1995. And there's Jericho and Callis doing a promo with Bad News Alan Coage. And both of them say that Bad News Alan, and of course this is complete bullshit. We didn't even hear what they were saying, talking about. But both of them say that Bad News Alan made them promise to stick together. And they should honor their promise. And Don leaves Jericho with, you know what Bad News would want. Bad news would want his name not being mentioned on this program, probably, but nevertheless. 
so we're continuing to milk that, and there's going to be, you know, later on, Hager's going to have a problem with Jericho. Hey, what's the matter? What are you doing? Is Jericho going to leave his stooges to join another group of stooges is our mystery. And this is not exactly replicating the bloodline saga. No, it's not. And it's a little too hokey for me. I just want to follow up on something we just talked about. On the drive through we talked about Dave Meltzer and his star ratings and the coverage certain people get. And I brought up Jericho. Then none of the bad stuff ever gets called bad. Everything is good. Jim, do you know what star rating CM Punk versus Samoa Joe got from Dave for AEW Collision last week? I, I do not know. Three and three quarter stars. Punk okay. versus Joe. Punk versus Joe, three and three quarter stars. FTR versus Jay White and Juice Robinson, four and three quarter stars. Four and three quarter, brilliant tag team match. He just couldn't couldn't give it five because they weren't his personal friends. And again, he says, according to that interview, four and three quarters is five. It's practically five. Celebrate it like it's five. But there's a gauge. The Punk match, three and three quarter. The FTR match, four and three quarter. Jericho versus Commander, four stars. How, in what world was that a better match in any way than Joe versus Punk? In what way did it mean anything more than Joe versus Punk? In any way, how could you, how could you even When watch? When they're just doing shit and missing each other blatantly to where the, the people even react to it? They reacted to it when he fell on his ass. They were like, oh, oh. He gave that Adam Cole Jericho match that everyone agreed was one of the worst matches anyone had seen what, three and three and a half stars, whatever it was. Jericho never gets any of his bad shit called bad in The Observer. Four Jericho stars. Jericho and Commander, four stars. I, I told you I like that match. I give it three stars. And they missed a bunch of stuff. I wouldn't rake in higher than Punk versus Joe. That's ridiculous. Uh, well, speaking of ridiculous, um, in 30 seconds, Hook chased Jungle Boy out of the parking garage again. And that was all we saw of them. It seems like... He can't get out of the car. I think they can't get into the country. I, I'm guessing they filmed all this stuff with them in the parking lot of some arena right before they came to Canada. Ooh. And that's why every week it's the same thing. <laughs> well, there you go. And it, it, it looks like the same SUV, too. So maybe he's just been driving around in circles. Anyway, they had another bro session with MJF and Adam Cole. And as we mentioned, I'm not going to go into it in great detail because we said it last week, and now you can actually hear the podcast. These are entertaining because most of the show's not, and MJF is on it. But they're obviously phony, and I'm not sure that the world champion should be doing obviously phony comedy. And here's the thing. At this point, we now know that Adam Cole will end up turning heel and joining MJF in some kind of loose alliance or friendship or whatever, if not a tag team, because the alternative is MJF would have had to turn full-fledged babyface through this thing, which is insane, or he'll have to turn on Adam Cole, which would make Adam Cole look like the biggest sucker of a fucking gullible babyface ever in history. That's right. So... But at the same time, if they're going to switch Adam Cole from one of their top baby faces to a heel, I'd like to believe more of this. 
I'd like it to not be so preposterous and done obviously for entertainment rather than real interaction that they are having that's entertaining. I'm not saying they should be sitting around talking about stock market. But don't make it obviously phony. Make it like it's happening between them. MJF fucks four girls because Adam likes Brit. And then Adam wants to play video game. What? Just your description of it. It's pretty funny. Well, wouldn't they, the four girls walk in and MJF says, hey, two for me and two for you. And he's no, I really care for Brit. Okay, then four for me. And he goes and fucks the four girls. And then comes back and Adam Cole wants to play video games. But MJF ends up liking it because it's more fun when you're playing with somebody else. He's never had a friend. And then there's a dramatic close-up of his face. And then Adam says, well, I intended to turn on you. And MJF says, well, I did too. But now Adam says, I think you're cool. And Adam, blah, blah, blah. So they're going to win the tag team tournament. And something's going to happen. But again, I want to believe it more than just these lighthearted. MJF is great at everything he does because he's so quick and the delivery. But this, this is your... Punk's the biggest star. MJF is the biggest star in the company because he's the world champion. Punk's the biggest name. But they're naked, top babyface, top heel. Don't fucking put them in goofy 80s video movie montages. All right, what'd you think? Well, my thoughts on this are separate from my thoughts on the match and their interaction with the match later on. Oh, yeah. I think this would be, for me, for my sensibilities, this would be a lot easier to take if they acknowledged the camera. Hey, we're here. You know, Mean Gene here on the streets of New York with Adrian Adonis and Dick Murdoch. Yeah. Something to acknowledge that the cameraman's right in front of them, either while they're playing video games or while they're in the bar. I'm not against, with that caveat, these bro bonding videos, although maybe, like you said, it's a little over the top when four women walk in MJF immediately walks away with them, comes back zipping up his fly. <laughs> then the camera's behind the TV. He should have a Velcro fly for easier access. You know, and I think a lot of it would probably be a lot better if it wasn't in the middle of a wrestling show. Because both guys, you know, you said MJF, even Adam Cole, I gotta say. Because I really don't like the, the sad, unhappy, commiserating, whatever it is, the desperate Adam Cole we've seen in the last few things. I like this version of Adam Cole a lot better. I thought he was good, but... They're trying to establish something that's not the way I would do it, but I didn't hate it. Well, speaking of something we can all hate, the tag team tournament match was next with Darby and Pockets against Garcia and Guevara. And yes, ladies and gentlemen, 16 minutes of TV time for the mascot and his match this week. Uh, then the Nick Wayne video. And when's his match come Boy. up? Uh, to the end well, of the show. That was the last match, wasn't okay, it? Okay, well, I just, I'll talk about the video now. Yeah. It was in his dad's ring at his house in Washington. And his, his kid's 18 years old. His father was a wrestler that trained him, also trained Darby Allen and, and Swerve Strickland. And he did an interview, uh, not an interview here, but he did. This was Nick Wayne sitting and talking about his father's death and him continuing the training. He's 18 years old. He speaks well. It needs more oomph, but he's a quiet kid. 
it was a nice start. And I thought they finally let us hear from a guy before he debuts. And of course, he's debuting with a lot of buzz and blah, blah, blah. So this was good. It He spoke well enough, even though he had obviously prepared his remarks. You would expect somebody to, a teenage kid, blah, blah, blah. He spoke well. He's got a great story. They're hailing him as a prodigy. I'm thinking, boy, I haven't seen any of him ever. So I'm thinking, boy, are they building him up? Are they setting him up for failure? Are we going to be blown away? I'm interested and I'm open. Let's see what the fuck's going on. And I've recently been emailed by somebody that would know that said, yes, he can work. He has been trained to work. So we'll see what happened. But this was what they ought to do with guys to make them more human. You've heard his voice. You've heard him speak before you see him wrestle. It, it establishes a better connection, right? Yeah, again, my thoughts on this are separate from my thoughts on the match later on. I thought this video was fantastic. I thought this video was perfect, and it certainly made him a sympathetic figure, someone you wanted to root for. I loved it. I thought it was great. Yeah. We'll get to the match in a minute. And then we were in the back with Rene Moxlegood, with Adam Cole, and Roderick Strong comes in and, and asks, you're, you're not seriously starting to like this fucking guy, right? And Roddy's in the sling. He's injured. Cole and Roddy have been together for all these years. They've been friends, right? Now Roddy sees MJF for what we all know him to be. But Adam says, well, he's not half bad. And then Adam gets another text from MJF. And, and oh, oh, wait, I've got I've to gotta go. And he calls MJF, Max, you're not sick. Come on, because he had seen Big Bill in the locker room and was trying to get out of the match later. And Roddy's obviously got stink face. But again, it's making Adam look gullible, if not silly. That that it's the silliness is so over the top, but he's playing it straight. I I don't know how other to explain it than that. Anyway, the tag team tournament match was Brian Cage and Big Bill with Prince Nana against MJF and Adam Cole, and obviously, this was another showcase again. It wasn't a real match, and you can't have one with Brian Cage for one thing. Uh, but it was all to showcase. The personality conflict, the odd couple, you know, starting to gain a broship with Cole and MJF. And it, a lot of this has to be MJF because it's got his fingerprints all over it. And it's fucking great stuff. This kind of shit, without the obviously stagey Hollywood produced vignettes, this kind of match is how you would have told the story in the territory days. And this works. It was like a Tennessee spot show. It was the complete antithesis of any match you ever see on AEW, and it was it was a wrestling angle storyline match where MJF tries to body slam Big Bill but hurts his back and tags Adam Cole in and starts to walk out, but Adam's got to all come back. And... Then they do the push-up contest with Adam Cole and Brian Cage. And MJF tags back in and wants Big Bill, and MJF teases the slam and hurts his back again. And then Big Bill dares MJF do the push-ups, and when he does, he kicks him in the ribs. It's a Tennessee spot show in Rabbit Ridge, Kentucky. 
except it's on national TV. Anyway, they went a few minutes. They went to the break. They came back, and within another couple of minutes, finally MJF worked into boat up, bit the finger of Big Bill, and body slammed him, and the babies went in the air for a, from this crowd for a fucking body slam because they milked it and worked up to it. And then MJF went back and forth with Cage and hit an eye poke and a hot tag, an actual hot tag to Adam Cole. And Cole does the comeback, including the eye poke. And then they milk, are they going to hit that sweet double clothesline? But they get hit with them. But finally, MJF hits the heat seeker, which is, by the way, another thing they better not have banned because that's not even a pile driver. Fucking morons. And then Cole hits the knee, one, two, three. They did seven minutes on the air, and they did nothing. And it was the best fucking match so far on the show because you actually paid attention to what was going on. But they did what they it's what it's supposed to be a match. They did what they were supposed to do. They're telling the story. It just happens to be the closest thing they got to the bloodline, and I, that ain't necessarily a compliment, but it's entertaining watching MJF run around and hot dog and do his thing. Your thoughts? I thought this was great. This was exactly the kind of thing I think this show needed. I said before, and this is the week I liked their stuff the most, especially the match. The match was excellent, and it was all about the energy. And I think Big Bill's actually all right. I know he gets a bad rap. If he had a name and an outfit and some reason for existing, besides just standing there being seven feet tall. Yeah, he ain't terrible. So I think he gets a bad rap. But I love the energy here. And the crowd made this work. And the crowd wants this to happen. They want Cole and MJF to be together. But, you know, there's a big difference between this kind of reaction and playing with it and the calls from Chris Jericho and others last year to turn MJF babyface and act like a babyface and be a babyface. This is a way like to kind of have the best of both worlds. Yeah, because you know that down deep, he's still the, the same devil, but he is doing this for the attention and to sway a potential competitor into being his fucking friend. This is also the best thing for Adam Cole. I'm convinced now after watching this match, Adam Cole with MJF, it works. They work well off each other. It looks more like talky, having, more talky, less worky. Looks like they're having fun together in the ring and in these segments. I'm assuming I'm intrigued by Cole versus Roddy. They got me interested in seeing what's going to happen there. And like you said earlier, if it goes the other way and we end up with just MJF turning on Cole, Cole looks awful. Oh, God. If it ended up with Cole turning on MJF, I don't even know what to think about that. Oh, pfft. So I think it has to end up with Cole, versus, uh, Cole and MJF together, and I think even though it seems expected now, it's still the right thing. Well, sometimes you expect the right thing. Just because the sun comes up every morning doesn't mean that it's <laughs> one day, you, well, let's not have the sun. People will be amazed. And then anyway, they did the interview afterwards. They got the microphones. MJF got the fans to do Adam Cole's baby chant, put their t-shirts over, double clothesline has got the fans to chant for a double clothesline, double clothesline. And then Adam says, I never expected this team to work, but it has, and they're going to win the tournament. They're going to get a tag title match on collision on July 29th, apparently. So it will be, that might be interesting. If it's FTR with the belts and I 
can't imagine they're going to take the yeah. belts off FTR. It'll then. it'll be FTR against Cole and MJF, and one would think oh. that <laughs> some shit would have to hit the fan, and that's the serious show, so it might be good. But they're better than you, baby. All right. Speaking of better than him, here's someone who everyone is better than, Jake Hager, in his stupid fucking purple hat with Renee Moxley Good. This guy has soaked Tony Khan for a fortune. Think about the number of matches he's wrestled in four years and the, <laughs> the importance he has meant to this company. Has anybody ever been, if he's made $5 a week, has anybody ever been paid more to mean less? But Jericho likes him. All righty. So Hager, in his stupid purple hat, goes into Jericho's locker room and confronts him in a very non-confrontational way about, are you really considering joining Don Fallis? And if so, well, what about us? Jake Hager, it sounded like Tony Dow on Leave it to Beaver questioning oh. fucking Ward and June on what was going on. Tony Dow was pretty good. Don't do that. All right. And he turned in his purple hat to Jericho and walked out. Maybe that's the same thing as his notice. Did he give notice? He gave me a purple hat. So as hard as they're trying to make Saturday night's show good, they're now trying equally as hard to make this show completely bad. It's going to be all silliness on Wednesday nights. And and we're going to have to watch Saturday to get anything serious whatsoever. Speaking of which, Ruby Soso beat Blue Sky. And then they had a world premiere video. QTV girl's name, miscellaneous white girl, is apparently Harley Cameron. So Harley Race had sexual relations with Dave Cameron's wife in New Zealand when what? he was over there dropping the... Don't say that. Well, she's got an accent. She's from over there. I'm thinking Harley Cameron, Harley Race, Dave Cameron. Dave Cameron. Dave Cameron. Dave oh Cameron. Dave Cameron. Accent. She's got to be the illegitimate offspring. Hmm. Are there any oh, other... Oh, good Lord. Any other historians you want to uh, slander? No, I well, hey, just let me get started on that fucking Tom Burke. And so they introduced a a world premiere rap video. This girl thinks she's a rapper. And the world premiere rap video was her in a bunch of different outfits, making a bunch of faces and saying a bunch of stuff. But I couldn't understand a goddamn word she actually said. And she was just hippity hoppity hip hippity hoppity all over the place for about a minute and a half. And that was that. You might know better than I whether someone is musically talented or not, but what the fuck are they doing here? I don't know what they're doing. Why is she on every show? She's on Collision. She's on here. Apparently she's been on Rampage too. That's where they did that angle with her and Bowens. Apparently she's on something. And that means the more, the longer she's on it, the more shows she's on. Yeah, I'm not sure. I they, think her and Tony Khan may be getting something straight in between them. I don't know. Was it any good? Am I just an untrained ear? I mean, the production, I guess, deserves a lot of credit. I can't speak to what she was doing. It certainly isn't anything I would listen to uh, ever, uh, willingly. Maybe if I was detained by NXT police. 
I'd listen to it, but I wouldn't listen to it. So I can't really, I guess if you're into that kind of thing from white Australian women, maybe you like it. For the kind of people who like that kind of thing, that's the kind of thing those people like. I guess. Okay. Well, speaking of something that people, a lot of people like, we now got to the debut of Nick Wayne, the 18-year-old prodigy against Swerve Strickland. And I wrote this at the top of the thing. The buildup that they've given this 18-year-old kid on this program, they have debuted major names in wrestling and not given them this kind of build, not given them this kind of entrance, not given them a videos, multi-weeks, and interviews beforehand, and etc. And I've been told he can work and not just flip. And I'm thinking, at this point, it's almost going to be a letdown, unless he's a prodigy, because of the way that they've, you know, categorized this and presented this. And I watched the first 60 seconds, and I said, well, that was aggressive parkour. But I'm thinking, okay, Swerve, is, he's from Washington State. They work the same promotion. They train with his dad. They're going to do some of this, but we're going to see something to indicate that this guy's a... And I'm not trying to knock him. But I kept waiting to see, is he a prodigy? And here is what I would determine a prodigy in wrestling. I've said Braun Breaker's a prodigy. Nick Wayne is not blessed by the genetic or chemical gods to look like Braun Breaker, so you don't expect him to do that stuff. But Austin Theory's a prodigy. And I'm before I go through this match, I'm just going to say this. If Nick Wayne, and I know that, again, Theory's taller, has a better physique, he, he won the genetic lottery, he's a good-looking fucking guy. Right? He's a great-looking guy. But... Nick Wayne ain't a bad-looking guy either. He doesn't have the physique, but he's 18 years old. He might get bigger. He can go to the gym and work on his upper body. He's not an ugly young man. I can see where the girls would be attracted to him. But as far as inside the ring, if you took and you did the, the brain switch, like they do over in Japan with Shibata, where you take Nick Wayne's brain and put it in Austin Theory's body and vice versa, I would call Nick Wayne the prodigy because he would be working exactly like Austin Theory but looking like Nick Wayne. He would have impeccable basics. He would have timing beyond his level of experience. He would have facial expressions. He would have the subtle intricacies that take years and, and a very good training program, and even then sometimes they're never developed. That's what I've looked at and seen in theory or seen in Braun Breaker. That's a prodigy. Not what moves you can do, any kind of moves. But the, the basics, the concept of wrestling, the timing, the facials, the body language, the working ability. Those are things that I determine when I'm looking at whether somebody's a prodigy. And I didn't see any of it with Nick Wayne because they didn't do any of it. There was not a goddamn regular wrestling move in this match that Nick Wayne used. No body slam, hip toss, arm drag. It was the rolling flips, the parkour, aggressive gymnastics. 
the he does the same posing and pointing and i'm not saying that i want the guy to be boiled in oil but i'm saying he's doing the same shit everybody else is doing the posing and pointing at where he's going to run to while he turns his back on the heel and he's acting too full of his own shit now that I've done this move, I'm going to turn and puff out my cheeks and point at the turnbuckle that I'm going to run to in grandiose fashion to come off with some fucking move that it wouldn't take a split second for this guy to fucking foil and get out of the way of if he wanted to. And and uh, several times he got crossed up by the heel and looked stupid for turning his back to the fucking guy to the point where Taz even had to mention it. Like, well, that's a show of inexperience. And I'm thinking, can he sell? Here's an 18-year-old kid with a good-looking baby face. Can he sell? Will the heel get on him and waltz him across Texas, like Ernie Ladd might say, so that he can have the pain on his face and he can reach out like Ricky Morton to the fucking audience in the front row, mouthing, help me, and show he's in pain and fight from underneath with some fire and passion, landing some fucking strikes that look halfway decent like he's trying to get out from under this son of a bitch before he gets shut down again. No! They sold the moves they did to each other, but there was no prolonged set of heat that the heel got on the baby face where he could be put in peril and in jeopardy and fight from underneath because they were too busy doing spinning, rolling, fucking, flipping, scissor things. And again, I, I wrote later on in the match, constantly turns away from his opponent. That's the first thing we would have covered in OVW and amateur class. Points where he's going to run, runs there like Kathy Rigby about to do a vault off the horse. They did the reverse poison Hurricane Rana off the top rope, him on swerve that's been banned. Or was that one of the banned ones or just the got to be approved? Well, it's stupid to do it anyway. And that was a two count. And then they went to the top again and held on to each other visually, obviously for balance and cooperation. And then Swerve powerbombed him off the top rope. When they landed, he folded the kid in half and didn't even cover him. He ran to the ropes, and the kid comes up to his knees after a powerbomb off the top rope. Comes up to his knees and waits for Swerve to jump up and hit him with a leg slap kick to the head that looked one-tenth as deadly as the powerbomb. Two count. And the fans of the phony video game wrestling genre were chanting, This is awesome because it wasn't their fucking vertebrae that they were destroying by the time they're 37 years old. And then Swerve hits some other kind of fucking move, one, two, three. Right result, obviously, you can't have an 18-year-old kid come in in his first major fucking promotion match and beat an established guy. But it was a ridiculous match. And I have no idea now, no more than I did when I started, whether Nick Wayne can work or not. He's a world-class gymnast but I have no idea whether he's a good wrestler because this match was everything wrong with AEW and most indie wrestling. They spent no time on the art. They spent all the time on the moves. 
I know that Nick Wayne doesn't look like Braun Breaker or even Austin Theory. So looking like a normal human being, he's going to have to do more to get attention than those other guys I just mentioned. But doing more of the same shit that everybody else does will not fucking get him there. I suggest he work on his personality and his ability to sell and be an underdog and be a little teenage boy fighting in a world of men that are going to try to fucking hurt him and get the sympathy of the teeny boppers on his back. Or he can continue flipping off the fucking Cirque du Soleil wire until he breaks his neck and he's wandered around in a goddamn iron lung. Your thoughts, young Brian? I can't add too much because I don't entirely disagree with you. I really loved the video earlier and it got me pumped up to see him and it got me, like I said, wanting to get behind him. And, you know, I understand there's an argument to be made that he's working the modern style because he's working modern wrestling shows. That's what you do. I think that's part of the issue. Yeah, he's young and skinny, but he just did the same stuff most of the run-of-the-mill guys at this point do in AEW in terms of high-flying. I'm sure he's better than what we saw here in terms of you mentioned you keep you mentioned several times that you heard he can work. So I'm assu- I've been told that. I'm assuming I've been, I've been told he was trained to. Not necessarily that he elects to. Well, maybe they thought this was the best kind of match to do for a first high-profile main event on Dynamite. I wasn't crazy about the match. I agreed with much of your assessment of it, but I really liked the video earlier in the show. Well, we'll see what happens. Yeah, I like that video so much that I feel bad saying anything about yeah. the match. Well, me too. I was, I was, I was ready to like him, and it happens. I saw the first day I saw Austin Theory. First time I said, "My God, kid's a prodigy." I can't believe he's this good this quick. I will give credit. Braun Breaker, same thing. I'll give credit where it's due. Wasn't due here because they didn't... He didn't call the fucking match, I'm sure. They should have got... I know they wanted Swerve because he's trained with him, worked in the same promotion, but they should have got somebody. Is there a veteran? Dustin Rhodes. Somebody that could have had a wrestling match with the kids so we could have seen what he could do. Yeah, because the other thing is if he can only work with the guys that he's worked with... What's he going to do? Well, yeah, because the Cirque du Soleil people can't just be like goddamn Chuck Berry when he used to travel around and just use a local backup band. You know, they have to be synchronized because all this stuff has to be synchronized. All All right. We're ready for the last segment, the big announcement of Don Fallis. And he didn't thank us, guys. He just came out and announced it. I'm thinking, boy, again... The announcement of his fifth BBC member for the Blood and Guts match. This is not going to equate bloodline ratings. People are not hanging on every move of this like they are the tribal chief and his gang. So he comes out to announce the fifth member of the BBC for Blood and Guts, and he starts trashing Harpo, and here comes Harpo. And before he even gets to the ring, He's attacked by the plumber and take a shit. And they jump, twinkle toes. They're beating him up, and then suddenly Pack is there. Remember Pack? Pack still works here, apparently. How long has it been since he's been gone? Have we even seen him in this year? I don't no, know. No, I think it's been more than a year. It's been well into the first part of last year. 
Uh, no, no, no. It was he was there for the trios matches. Remember, they did the best of seven. Oh, good God! Well, I put those out of my mind, thankfully. Um, that was still a while back. Anyway, he suddenly hits Kenny with the chair. And the announcers are going, is he the fifth guy? Is he the fifth? Because they never actually said until after they'd kicked the shit out of Twinkle Toes. And then Pac told him, he had, I've waited a long time for this. I'm the fifth man. And then, I swear I'm not making this up, just like your quotes from Kenny earlier in the program that I thought you were making up. They get Kenny down and they put a chair around his neck and take a shit is holding him and pack is going up to the top and the plumber has the microphone and he asks him if he's got any final words and Kenny with the chair around his neck being held down is laughing. See, that's what they do in a video game. He's laughing because he says, we've still got a fifth member too. check the screen. Well, the chairs are at his neck and he's coughing and laughing. And then the lights go out. And now, of course, one of them's holding him. The other one's on the top rope. The other one's got a chair around his fucking neck. I think they could still hurt him if they wanted to, but the lights go out, so nothing happens. And on the screen, up pop highlights of Kota Idushi. And for those of you, mainly most of you, yeah, that's what I said, Kota Idushi. And for most of you who are going, who the fuck is that? Kota Idushi is a fellow sex toy and child wrestler from the Orient who is now a former best friend and tag team partner and member of the Golden Lovers pairing with Kenny and is another guy that a bunch of these mentally challenged individuals that think that this kind of wrestling gets over, just think is just swell. Old Coda, Idushi himself, he's one of the great ones. You can watch him on video on the internet wrestling sex dolls, six-year-old children, why they have matches where they're all dressed up as I Dream of Genie, and bunches of them just stand around and stick their fingers up other guys' asses over and over in a circle. It's amazing the talent that this fucking nitwit piece of shit possesses. So, Kenny has now managed to strong-arm Tony Khan into flying another one of his outlaw friends from Japan over to the United States for an extended paid vacation where he gets to stink the fucking ring up too. And again, I will say the same thing as with Kenny. I don't care whether this guy can stretch the reanimated corpse of Luthez with the shit that he... And I have people on Twitter going, well, that was years ago he did that in a comedy wrestling promotion. Yeah, it was 1985 that Eddie Mansfield cut his head and exposed the business on fucking 2020, and I still think he's a piece of shit. So fuck this guy, too. The disrespect... A supposedly legitimate professional wrestling promotion booking guys that have done that shit. I have no respect forever whatsoever for anybody involved. And I think that anybody on the AEW roster that does have any respect for their fucking profession should walk out and protest 
that this jack-off is coming in and getting stuck in a main event. Oh, come on. No one's going to walk out and protest. I didn't say they were. I said they should. Can you imagine that? They're, they're, they're doing their best, whatever their best may be, whenever they're called upon to do it, and this fucking jack-off walks in and gets booked into a big spot because he used to wrestle fucking blow-up dolls with one of the EVPs. Some of it was even in public they did that stuff. So anyway, the lights come back on, and there's the buckaroos and hangnail hitting the ring, beating up the heels, and they announce that it'll be the Golden Elite. Should be Golden Rivers by IP Freely. Should be the, the name of their team. Against the BBC, and then they apparently ended early. For once, usually they go, almost go off the air without a finish, but since this was just a schmoz, they ended early and they had to talk back and forth to each other. And Kenny gets the fucking microphone, and my God in heaven, he's doing the phone sex voice. He's putting over another inappropriate child wrestler and sex doll grappler. And appealing to the same limited audience that has any idea who that stupid prick is to begin with. And as they're going back and forth, we know Kenny's a rotten promo, but Moxley had to walk up to the floor camera on the entranceway and just to say fuck as loud as he could into the hard camera or into the floor camera. They are just jacking themselves off with Tony Khan's right hand on this program. So that was the last segment. That's what we call the mud line there. Yeah, Omega's not good on a mic. The people that pretend he is because he gave heartwarming speeches after his matches in Japan or whatever it is that you liked, he's not good on the mic at all. And, uh, yeah, that's it. I'm not too excited about this. I was excited about Takeshita a few weeks ago. Now he's just lost in the shuffle of the mud line. Well, yeah, that's it, because he came out and he had size and he had some attitude. And you could see he was an exciting baby face, but you could see he could have all kinds of potential personality as a heel. And now he just shows up to help kick the shit out of people in, in the group gropes that they do, that Moxley's fond of. Did anybody watch this program? This program was watched by people. In fact, it was watched AEW Dynamite on July 12th, 2023 on TBS. It was watched by 825,000 people. 825, so they're they're still tr barely struggling above 800, but that's where they've been in that range for some time now. But the question, as always, is what was the attrition factor? How did they start, and who hopped off the boat? Well, the show began. These were compiled by WrestleNomics, quarter 1, 8 to 8.15 p.m. Chris Jericho versus Commander with picture-in-picture if you are one of the listeners from outside of the States, when I say that, it refers to here in the States, at times, there are commercials with a very small screen with the wrestling still no, playing no, while go, the No, go ahead and explain it. Go ahead and explain it to them the way that, that AEW is thinking. They're thinking that our fans that watch us on TV want to see this program so bad that even when we go to commercial, if we put up a small postage stamp size screen in the corner with the commercial audio playing and the commercial taking up most of the screen, people will sit on their couch, grab their binoculars, and try to look at that little picture-in-picture -picture just to see 
the rest hold that is occurring at that moment. And I bring it up because we have heard from a lot of listeners who keep saying, I don't know what Brian is referring to, why he keeps saying picture in picture. But Jericho versus Commander, picture in picture, 896,000 viewers. Okay, not, not a good sign for their quarter eight, but we shall contend. Again, they, they've been starting lower. The Big Bang, I guess, has lost its appeal, but they've been starting lower and keeping more of their audience. It's, it, they haven't been doing the starting with a million and ending with 600-something thousand here lately, but that's not a good place to start if they're going to do an 825 average. Go ahead. Segment two, or excuse me, quarter two, 8.15, 8.30 p.m., the finish of Jericho versus Commander, the promo with Jericho and Don Callis, Jungle Boy running from Hook, <laughs> Callis' backstage promo, and the first two minutes of the MJF Adam Cole Buddy segment, 821,000 viewers. Who boy. And uh, 75,000 people in the first 15 minutes. Went away because Chris Jericho versus Ignatz McGee been the same thing. Quarter three, eight thirty to eight forty-five p.m. The final two minutes of the MJF Adam Cole video, and Orange Cassidy and Darby Allen versus Sammy Guevara and Daniel Garcia with picture in picture, seven hundred and eighty thousand viewers. Oh, good lord! Okay, that's, that's so that's pockets. That's pockets. That yeah, that's because it's every week now. Again, that was uh hold on, where's my notes? That was after we got finished with MJF and Adam Cole, people knew okay, MJF has been on the program, and here comes this sack of shit. Let's do something else. So they have lost a hundred and sixteen thousand people in the first forty-five minutes. And if you watch this show every week, you're sick of Orange Cassidy unless you're one of the super in the bubble AEW fans. Hey. People were sick of Orange Cassidy when they watched him the first time. But now you've been trained to know that his matches are going to go probably 15 minutes-ish. So you know you can yeah. kind of go to the bathroom or go to the kitchen or wherever during and that Damn, quarter. how long does it take you to shit? Well, maybe I went outside to smoke a joint. I mean, I don't know. But quarter four, 8.45 to 9 p.m., the final five minutes of Cassidy and Allen versus Guevara and Garcia, the Nick Wayne video... The Adam Cole Roderick Strong backstage confrontation and the entrances for the tag team match, eight hundred and three thousand viewers. Okay, they got twenty three thousand back because now we're going to have the match with MJF and Adam Cole, and that's what we get at the big nine o'clock hour, quarter five, nine to nine fifteen p.m. MJF and Adam Cole versus Brian Cage and Big Bill with picture in picture and the post-match promo from Cole and MJF, 883,000 viewers. Wow! At the top of the 9 o'clock hour with the big star in the ring, and they know that some furtherance of the issue will go on, they pick up 80,000 people at the top of the hour. Quarter 6, 9.15 to 9.30 p.m., the Jake Hager-Chris Jericho backstage confrontation and Ruby Soho versus Sky Blue with picture in picture, eight hundred and two thousand viewers. <laughs> right back, <laughs> and they went right back where they were and lost an extra thousand. Quarter seven, nine thirty to nine forty-five p.m. The Owen Hart Cup recap, 
and Swerve Strickland versus Nick Wayne with picture in picture, 783,000 viewers. And well, and now they're, they're trickling out trying to find something else to do because they know that they've basically, they've seen what they want to see and there's nothing more to see here. Well, there was a little bit more to see, and that was quarter eight, 9.45 to 10 p.m., the final five minutes of Strickland versus Wayne, and the promo and angle featuring Don Callis, Kenny Omega, the Blackpool Combat Club, John Moxley, the Elite, Takeshita, Ibushi on video, and much, much more, 831,000 viewers. Oh, son of a gun! Well, uh, hold on here a second. Let me give them a small smattering of applause. Where is it? I keep trying to find there. You could have just used your hands and it's a small smattering of applause. Well, that, that was recorded live at the Future Farmers of America Association convention. So they picked up 48000 for their announcement at the end. I doubt very seriously if it was anything else that was going on. I told you the last few weeks because I wasn't crazy about it. This week I loved the match. But MJF and Cole was resonating with the fans. And, you know, you've got to, this was a different rating pattern than they've been doing normally because normally they start high and there may be some fluctuation in the middle, but they have dropped off horribly by the end. As we've talked about, they lose 20% or 25% of what they start with. In this case, they lost... They lost 15% of so of what they started with at two different places in the middle of the program, but finished strong enough to where they only were down, good God, about 5 to 7%. So that they were all over the page, but people were checking back in to see if anything would actually happen. So bravo for that, for them. All right, that was... AEW last Wednesday, before we talk about this week's SmackDown, July the 7th, the, what they call it, the Tribal Council on SmackDown, the, the big blow-up between the Usos, Roman Reigns, the whole nine yards, that SmackDown from July 7th did a landmark rating number, and we got to break that down, because we talked on the show a week or two ago, some people may not have heard it since we've been taking the, the revamp break. But it was always pretty much uh, assumed and assured that wrestling programs back in the day would gain in viewers from start to finish, and the main event would be the highly, most highly watched segment of the program. When you go back to the Clash of Champions live specials on TBS for Crockett and WCW, those were two-and-a-half-hour shows. The first one was an afternoon, Sunday afternoon, went from 3 to 5.30. And the main event, Flair and Sting, was the, I think at that point, the highest rated wrestling match on cable like ever. Or when they started at 8 o'clock at night on a weeknight, the main event was still the highest rated quarter at from 10 to 10.30, 10, 10.15, 10, 10.15, 10.30. We've talked about, you know, when... WWF did the hour specials in primetime. The main event was always, you know, the the biggest and the last um, rated match. Now, Saturday night's main event was different because you were 11.30 p.m. to 1 a.m. So they'd put 
Brian, remind me, the main event was always either on or over by around midnight. Midnight. I mean, that's usually the way I remember it. They would start the show yeah. with some promos, then you get the first match, and then usually midnight-ish, either right before or right after, you get the main event. Because you were fighting sleep in that circumstance, but otherwise, the program's built to the main event because that was the top guys in the big match, the most money, you know, whatever. Well, AEW has reversed that trend simply because the show looks so similar, there's nothing to hang around for because they've done everything by fucking an hour in. But the WWE is still, they're kind of maintaining their audience because the whole thing is really, as we've talked about, the opposite of AEW. It's kind of boring, but you're trying to pick out the fucking things you want to see. So they keep most of their audience, but even in the middle, if they know there's something going on they want to see, they will find it. And that's why I've set the stage, because on the July 7th program, they did a massive number. They averaged over 2.5 million viewers for the entire show. But the second 15 minutes, when they were really into the tribal court deal and the whole nine yards, not only gained almost 500,000 viewers from the where they started in the previous quarter, but they were over 3 million people just to see that interview segment. And that, that to me, in this day and age, when people have pretty much given up on wrestling, is somewhat mind-blowing. And the, the demo was over 1.2 million people alone. They had more 18 to 49-year-old people watching SmackDown than any program that AEW has presented in years, and few, if, if ever, have topped that number. So I thought we'd go through real quick and see what the quarters did. You want to do that, Brian? Sure. Again, this is WWE SmackDown, July 7th, 2023, so about a week ago, um, depending on when you're hearing this. The show began... Quarter 1, 8 to 8.15 p.m. These are compiled by WrestleNomics. Money in the Bank recap and the Usos Paul Heyman live promo with an ad break. 2,570,000 viewers. And remember, that's when Roman was coming to the ring and they went to a commercial. We said, Jesus Christ, but they, right. they were going so long they had to because they were going to come back and go even longer. But that gave people the opportunity to say, hey, Roman's on the way to the ring. <laughs> and they had no commercial break whatsoever in that next 15 minutes. And that one did the number. And that was quarter two, 8.15, 8.30 p.m. Roman Reigns, The Usos, live promo and angle. Of course, Sola Sokoa and Paul Heyman. 3,070,000 viewers. And that's why if the WWE could just stop putting those pesky wrestling matches on completely, they would be a ratings bonanza. The other company has it where nobody wants to see any of their matches because they're all the same. And the WWE has completely bypassed the matches. So let's just have these interviews with the top guys and people will watch that. And they do. I will say this too, and obviously there's a difference between Fox and TBS or TNT or whatever it may be still in this day and age. But I think if you were someone who's not a wrestling fan, or someone who has a child who's a wrestling fan, or someone who's just flipping through the channels, the drama 
between Roman Reigns and the Usos and Heyman and Solo, you probably have bumped into it if you watch TV on a Friday night. It's Fox. It's Channel 5 here in New York. You bumped into it. Maybe you've started paying attention to it. You know, maybe you'll tune in just to see what that is. Maybe you don't even know their names. But if you do check it out, you have Heyman, who is a stellar performer, the likes of which we've rarely ever seen. And he's better now than he's ever been. Remember, a lot of people don't remember, Paul was not the greatest manager in the world in the late 80s and early 90s. He was... He was the greatest Very screaming good. manager. He was the greatest he, screaming manager. Yeah, and, and, and he's made a complete, you know, uh, change in his style because I guess he's lost a lot of energy along with the weight that he's gained. But he wasn't the greatest promo, the greatest manager then. He may be now. So you have Heyman. You have Roman Reigns, who, whatever you want to say, this guy's now proven it. Excellent drawing card. People care about what he's doing. He doesn't have to do much, and his performance is pretty great. The best performer out of everyone may be Jey Uso. Jey Uso may feel more real than anyone else in wrestling. The way he moves, the way he sounds, the way he looks, the way he talks, the way he reacts to things. A lot of times it's like he doesn't want to say what he's about to say, but he's saying it. <laughs> yeah, His reactions are amazing. So you have these... And, you know, not to take anything away from Jimmy Uso or Solo, because I think they've been great, and they've been perfect in the way they've been used. This whole thing has been working. I think a lot of people are getting more and more drawn into it, and, again, it's on Fox, it's Friday. I think you're getting people also who may not necessarily be wrestling fans. Well, quarter three will tell you uh, that you're right again. Read that one. Quarter three, 8.30 to 8.45 p.m., the continuation of that live Tribal Council and Austin Theory versus Sheamus, 2,705,000 viewers. And what happened after the Tribal Council wrap-up was they went to commercial and then came back with Theory and Sheamus, and they lost 300,000, 370,000 or thereabouts because those were the ones who just came to see what was going to go on with the bloodline, but they've still got 2.7 million people. And by the way, here's another thing. I don't know if this is still the case. I believe it is. I haven't put a stopwatch on everything because I haven't been formatting television for the last few years. But the cable breaks, USA, TBS, TNT, they're all going to be at least three and a half minutes long. I think SmackDown puts in two and two and a half minute breaks. You don't have as long to stray as far away. Network television, I believe they used to be they probably still are slightly shorter. So one story here is the big pop in the rating. The next story is the rest of the show here. Very interesting. Quarter four, 8.45 to 9 p.m. Sheamus versus Theory continued. The post-match with Pretty Deadly and the Brawling Brutes. 2,474,000 viewers. And now they've said they started with 2,570,000. They popped for the tribal council. They come back to 2.474. And the rest of the show, and you can read them even more quickly because the story is there. Basically, they hold that audience with normal fluctuation due to bathroom breaks when you've got, 
you know, numbers that large, you know, switching 50 or 60,000 out of nearly two and a half million is just normal fluctuation. Yeah, here's the nine o'clock hour. The nine o'clock hour is comprised of the Grayson Waller effect with Edge leading to the match a little bit later on in the hour, as well as the segment where all the women were just running around hitting each other. And again, no LA night this week on the show. Nine o'clock, 2,439,000. And finally, 945, 2,444,000 viewers. And actually, I think they crossed people up a little bit because if they'd have known after all of that, if they'd have been sure that Jey Uso and Reigns and Sokoa were going to get into it again at the end, they would have probably picked up a little bit more at the end. But nevertheless, that's what, two and a half million people and an extra 500,000 to see the bloodline. Amazing number. And... I think somebody said it was number one. This is how bad television has fallen. It was number one for network TV for that night. Watch them get an Emmy. They're making such a buzz about it. If they're doing it publicly, someone's doing it privately. And if they're doing it privately, there's always someone on the take. Well, anytime somebody does it publicly, you can be assured they're doing it in private also. Who gets the Emmy? Heyman? Roman? Or Jay? Only one of them can get it. I think or Roman Sammy. Ha- I'm going to throw a wild card in there. Or Sammy. No, I think Roman has to get the Emmy, but Paul will be best supporting actor. Interesting. Well, we will see what happens at the Academy Awards coming up soon. That's not the Academy Awards, the Emmys, is it? No, that's the Oscar. The Emmys, the uh, the Emmys are not the Oscars, but they are the Grammys. No one will yes. be watching those shows either. All right, let's talk about SmackDown from Friday night, July the 14th. Then. Why'd you spit out 14th? <laughs> because it's different than 7th. All right, well, the smacketh was layeth downeth by the ratingseth last week, but this week, while we don't know the ratings, we know what happened on SmackDown for July 14th, which was just, it seems like just moments ago. I can't get it out of my head. Oh, I can't get it out of my head. The problem is you can get the matches out of your head. What, did they have matches? See, there you go. Did they have... Wait a minute. Let me check my notes here. I know there was some talking. In the middle of the commercials. the talking started. No, in the middle of the commercials, sometimes they have matches. Okay. Well, let's run through this real quickly then. Bianca Belair opened the program, skipping and twirling to the ring and saying stuff. And... I really zoned out until Charlotte came out. I said, okay, now I'll listen. Maybe they're going to fight. Who knows? Because they're in Raleigh, North Carolina. It's flair country. They're, they're wooing. They're wooing the woos. And basically, <laughs> as well, what's about You know they woo the woos down in the Carolina. I, I did not know they woo the woos. They woo the woos, baby. They're big wooers down there of wooing. So anyway, we know that... Charlotte's allegedly a baby face. Bianca's allegedly a baby face. Oscar's turned heel here lately. Uh, Oscar's the champion. Charlotte came right in and got a shot that Bianca thought she should. I mean, and you know, all the kids in, in fucking fourth period were really upset about it. All the, the girls were picking sides. And anyway, Charlotte now picks Bianca to beat Oscar tonight and win the women's title so that she can be next. 
And basically, they just, Brian, again, they just stand at an unnatural position, opening themselves up to the camera because it looks good, and exchange snarky comments to each other while everyone's smiling, but the fake smile where I hate you, but we're doing the verbiage. And Bianca laughs at how much fun they're having out there doing that and mentions that they can wrestle at SummerSlam. And they shake hands, and Charlotte woos her. Because you know they're big wooers down there in the Carolinas. Yeah, they woo the woos, I hear. They woo the woos. And that was it. They left. And that was 10 minutes of two women being fake nice to each other. Your your comments. Or as it's called, being a woman. Uh, I think Bianca's all right on the mic. I don't have a problem with her on the mic. I wondered where this was going. They wooed the wooers, or the wooers wooed the wooer. I don't know what the fuck. Is hey, going on. you know, sometimes the woo, when the wooer woos the when the wooer gets wooed. Woo! Didn't Stu Hart ask you, Diana Hart? <laughs> no, that was that was a wooer. That's different than a wooer. But you know, it was also, I think, more importantly, beyond whatever the uh, the women's program is, and we'll talk about it because it happens again later in the show. It was a different start. Last week, we started with the big angle. This week, we started with, not to take anything away from the <laughs> women's division, but it's not as big as the bloodline. Nothing is. So, a different way to hold the audience when you don't have Roman, I guess. Well, a different way to hold the audience when two people come out and be fake nice to each other for 10 minutes and shake hands and woo. But then we came to the first match of the evening which the bell rang for at 17 minutes into the show. Uh, we, now we're going to see Purely Deadly every week, apparently. This is, this is the new thing now. We get, they bring in somebody and beat them to death until we can't stand them anymore, and then they bring in somebody else to do the same thing. But we couldn't stand them to begin with, so therefore, you know, except for the way they look and the way they're dressed and the way they talk, and the way they work, there's nothing but that bad about them. But they fought Seamus and Ridge Holland. And they they kicked the shit out of these guys like they're jobbers to begin with. It works for a heel team like that if they're over first. But these guys are not and probably are never going to be. And it, it, they got a little heat on Ridge, and he just powered out of the heat and iceberg tagged old Seamus and they went to the Bowery beach spot. And that was the break spot after three minutes. And then they came back and they look like fucking idiots. Did I mention these people purely deadly? It's the outfit more than anything. The top of the outfit more than anything. It's hard to yeah, take well, them no, seriously it's, at all. It's, it's that and the retro, you know, poison hair. I mean, Ricky and Robert, for God's sake, never had hair like this. And they do no tag team stuff. As individuals, their work is average and not different. A lot of punch and kick. And both their single and their team names suck. Elton John and Prince Michael. I don't fucking know who they are. Did you hear about right before Michael Jackson passed away, he and Elton John were going to do a duet for charity? No, no. 
I did not hear about this, and I don't think you want to say it because I don't even know what you're going to say, and I'm already getting tense over here. It was it was just that 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 fun duet. Don't let your son go down on me. There it is. There it is. Uh, by the way, I have some news off the wire here at the Wrestling uh-huh. News. Elton Prince of the tag team Pretty Deadly sustained a separated shoulder last Friday during Pretty Deadly's SmackDown match against Rich Holland and Sheamus. According to a PW Insider report, Prince is expected to be out of action for the time being, although there is no word on whether he will require surgery or how long he may be sidelined. Well, we hate to hear that. I didn't see anything that looked like all that bad, but then we see that stuff, we're immune to it now. But nevertheless, so back to this match. Um, Simultaneous cold tags to Blondie and Ridge. Ridge Holland made a big comeback, and he's my favorite out of this whole bunch. If I could have had him in OVW with a better name, an actual gimmick, and some hair, I believe we'd have had something. How much hair does he need? He's got he's got none. What is it? He's almost shaved, but not quite. Just, just got, close enough. You just got mad at the other guys for too much hair. Well, can't we all be just right about this thing? <laughs> Is it is it a is it have to be either fucking Telly Savalas or Edgar Winter? This is wrestling. Seemingly, it seems like that. Yes. No, <laughs> this Ridge Holland. If you put his headshot in a Fortune 500 stock brokerage <laughs> company, he'd fit right in. He lives in Staten Island. I'd believe it. Anyway, so a bunch of back and forth and. Somehow, uh, Ridge charged and hit his throat on the exposed turnbuckle, and Blondie hit a leg drop off the top rope and purely deadly won. And there had been seven minutes total of that match on the air at at 30 minutes into the show. Uh, By the way, I wasn't saying he lives in Staten Island. I would say if you told me, based on his headshot, that he lived in Staten Island, I would believe it. Oh, I I thought he had moved to Staten Island, be closer to the office, so he could go and suck up sometimes. I don't know if that's the island I'd move to. Anyway, so they did a bloodline recap from the tribal court, uh, you know, last week. And that was one of the more entertaining parts of this program. And then uh, Adam Pierce saw Charlotte. She was going to leave. She's happy. She's fine with what's going on. And then all of a sudden, Bailey and EO come in with the briefcase. And Charlotte turns around and says, you know what? I'll stay. So. They're teasing dissension among the women. And speaking of dissension among the women, Zelina versus Bailey. I can't really break this down into too much of a uh, a critique because they went 100 miles an hour for two whole minutes and then it was over. Bailey won. Bing. Thank you for coming. I guess they had to get that, that pesky match out of the way because then Shotzi came up on the screen. And you will recall, Brian, or maybe you won't. I don't know whether you do or not. That they the heels here had clipped some of Shotzi's hair off in a vicious backstage attack here last week or two, right? Actually, I did not know that. Well, they did. But now Shotzi was on the screen, and she was talking about you think that what you did. Gives you control over me. It, well, you well, you saw this also. It was a, it was a an over the. I at first thought they were parodying 
Britney Spears's meltdown. Was that the young lady that had a meltdown on the social media and shaved her head? Well, there are many uh, people who've had meltdowns on social media, as we have recently learned. But and and women and shaved their head, and they would be stars enough that I would know about it. How often does this take place? Well, Britney Spears, when she shaved her head, I think that was like what, like two thousand seven or something. She wasn't on well, social media. Well, that's the only time, other time I remember. You weren't on social media. It was on television. Yes, it was. They they sent her to a rubber room at the Puzzle Factory. Well, she's, uh, ba- but she's making her own puzzles now. Does she have hair? Once again. Well, yes. Shotzi don't, because she did... I mean, it... The performance was kind of like if it was in a horror movie or some type of dramatic independent film it might have fit better but i was getting the fact that she is trying to give us the impression that she has completely flipped her fucking lid and shaved her own head and was screaming that they're not going to control her and that's what the dramatic part the work part of this was and ended we understand that the actual reasoning behind the head shaving was, I believe you mentioned to me off the air that she is showing some solidarity to a member of, of, of someone in her family or social circle. Is this correct? I believe what I read said it was her sister, but I may be mistaken, but I think it was her sister, yeah. Who is undergoing health issues. And that's fine, but I again go back to what I said about to Laurenitis, when thank you, fuck you, bye was coined. Have a match. I thought that's what they were building to anyway. Was they cut some of her hair in the back, so have a match. Especially the girls, hair versus hair, one must go. And make people believe somebody's going to get their head shaved. I would think if that was a featured event on some kind of major program, they might throw old Shotzi a bone because she's offering it up anyway and you you make some money and get yourself over off of it at the same time instead of doing it on a pre-tape on the screen that was my thought i didn't like the style of it i mean if she's gonna do this if you're not gonna do it in a match and i got on triple h years ago for not losing his hair in a match just one day showing up on a crew cut <laughs> which is ridiculous it was known yeah, for his hair yeah. but Shotzi did it there was a camera in front of her and then there was a camera on the side and it was just camera cuts galore and it was stylized as opposed yeah, to it, here's it was a real obviously moment. meant to be a dramatic movie scene rather than you actually believe what she was doing yeah it was like you were watching someone hype themselves up to fight freddy krueger or something <laughs> you're not gonna drag me into the dream freddy all right well speaking of dragging us into a dream we finally got through an hour of the program so that we could see the 9 o'clock hour, actually not even 8.57. They wanted Jey Uso in the ring so that they'd be all into the thing at 9 o'clock. And, and the crowd is chanting Usos and Usos and Usos. And Jay's talking about, because obviously Jimmy has been hospitalized by that vicious attack. Or medical facility. I'm not sure what they're saying these days. But Jay talked about, you know, that he and Jimmy were twins. They'd been inseparable. And the way he was doing the promo, the crowd started whatting him. But for one of the few times I could remember, it worked. 
And not only that, but when he got to a serious point that didn't need the what, they backed up and worked with him. Did you notice that? It was one of the greatest examples of mastery of the what chant because they were going to do it and it got louder and louder as he was building up. And then he went to the full sentence as opposed it, to just throwing out a phrase. Yeah, and it worked in the context of what he was saying. It didn't detract. It was helping him boost the, and we did this together. What? And that together. And or whatever the fuck, right? It worked somehow. So I don't know. He was a very cunning linguist there. But anyway, being twins is what makes us special. If he's hurt, I'm hurt too. And I never thought that we'd be hurt by our own family. And he respects his whole family. He went through all of them. And there was another great what? My aunt, my uncle, my, you know, whatever. What? What? It, but not Roman. Ooh. And I'm going to spank my little brother solo. Ooh. And then, of course, here comes right at nine o'clock. My name is Paul Heyman. You know, if, if, could it have been, I don't know about his health and his cholesterol, but it, could it have been the best thing for him that he is ballooned to the massive body weight that he possesses now from when he was just a little shit when he was, you know, in the late 80s when he was Paulie dangerously because it's made him slow down because he's got such gravitas now with his measured way of speaking and his command of the language. Whereas before the psycho yuppie was like, just remember fucking, what was it? 35 years ago, I outweighed him by at least 25 pounds. He was never a small guy though. Once he was an adult. I do. Well, I don't think in 88, when we were working with each other, well, he didn't weigh 200 pounds. Couldn't have. He was a puny little thing, probably, but 195, 195-pound weakling. You could body slam him? Are, are you fucking kidding? I never even tried. It wasn't that I, <laughs> I could, it, no, it wasn't that I couldn't slam him if he'd go up. I wasn't going to herniate myself with him not being able to figure out how to go up. I could pick Crusher Khrushchev up, Barry Darso, for a body slam. When in Mid South, when I weighed two hundred and he weighed two ninety five, because he knew how to go up, I wouldn't slam him, but I could get him up and hold him for a second. I don't know if I could have got Paul six inches off the fucking ground because he wouldn't know how to go up and no, not to play spoiler, he still doesn't know how to bump. But let's go. No, back that, to well, that's I'm just saying that, <laughs> that's why I said he's the only guy in the business I've ever been able to blow up, even back then, and he's the only guy that I've ever worked with that I had to fucking lead and was the experienced veteran in the fucking situation. Anyway, so Heyman interrupted. And he and Solo come out, and, and they say they're there to enforce the peace. They're just going to get in and have a conversation. And I can't do justice to what Paul says and the way he says it, but the story is that, you know, he's telling, Jay, you know how this whole thing works. Next week, because Jay has challenged Roman, so next week, Jay and Roman will meet face-to-face -face as it has been done by your father and his father before him and his father before him, the whole island dynasty thing, to discuss the rules of engagement. This has been handed down through the generation. This is classic Paul Heyman booking also, too, by the way. This is fucking great. So as, as long as he's not in charge of the checkbook, or you don't have to get him on the phone, 
And uh, Paul is playing mind games with Jay. He's telling him at one point he sounds more like a tribal chief every day, but then he turns it on him. What happened to Jimmy is your fault. You're the one that opposed Roman. You wanted to lead the family. And then Paul tells Jimmy out there in TV land, you know it's Jay's fault. Will you ever forgive him? He tells Jay, will your father ever forgive you? And, it just, you know, again, this is fucking Peyton Place for you senior citizen soap opera fans out there. And Jay Uso's facial reactions to everything, to every name that's being said. Yeah. Perfect. And, you know, and they've, they're sticking to the universe that they've created where this bloodline, this family, the honor, the elders, the tribal chiefs, the wise men, it's all fucking preposterous and it works because they've, they've built it and they didn't just shit on details in it or just make shit up as they want to, they've, it's it sounds legitimate. Anyway, so then Solo tells Jay that he's never going to forgive him, and Jay fucking pickles him, and they get in a fight, and Jay dumps Solo, and then he stalks Paul. And the only thing I know they need to milk, but I don't know that Jay has ever been in that position before on how to when he's really been over and how to fucking stalk somebody that's really got heat but he needed to he needed to ad- make more advancement he needed to cover more ground he just kind of got there and you could tell he was not getting close enough to where when he got cut off it wasn't a it needs to be the rug pulled out from under people right if he'd have just slowly i turned and one foot in front of the other all the way across to paul and by the time he laid hands on paul's jowls they're so low. Oh my God, the people would have, they didn't need to change their shorts. But anyway, so Solo from behind. And Jay gets back on Solo, and that's where Paul, I wrote on my notes, Paul slides in, but I don't know if that really does it justice. But poor Paul, as best he could, he, he, it's not easy for Paul anymore when he's off his feet. Right to get anywhere because his I, I think he's laying on his stomach his his arms don't reach the ground. But anyway, he kind of wallers under the bottom rope and stands up, and there comes Jay with the super kick. And Paul, you can see him; he's doing the same thing he did thirty five years ago. If you try to throw a punch at him, wincing, he winces. He, he's good. <laughs> good King winces a lot. He winced and boom, and he, and he crumpled to the ground. I, you could have fucking heard a mouse pissing on cotton when he hit the mat because it was like an ox baker rolling bump. But the people went crazy because he never falls down. And then a big bump on Solo and he grabbed a chair and, you know, whacked Solo with it and the heels bailed out. And there we go for the... And next week, we know there's going to be some shit take place because they're going to decide the rules of engagement between Jay and Roman. So For SummerSlam. For SummerSlam. So we got that going for us. What did you think of this whole uh, dramatic rendition? You know, this was tremendous. If I was making a best of videotape for friends to trade around or send around, this would have been on it for this week. Jay Uso, I said it to you before. He's the most real guy. I'm not saying everything's real. He comes across real. He looks real. He sounds real. He reacts real. And 
The only thing I agree with what you said, and as I as you were saying it, I was picturing it him walking across the ring the way he did. But the way I thought of it as it was happening was it's a big move beyond Roman. It's a big move family wide for him to strike Heyman. So maybe that took a second or two for him to okay, I'm doing this and do it. <laughs> That's the only thing I could think of, but Heyman was fantastic. I mean, where he was saying, your mom won't forgive you. Just going through the whole family. <laughs> it was, and there's a bunch of them. It's tremendous. And, uh, you know, the main event J thing, there was a big sign there, dead center, as it was happening. And he's going to get the main event with Roman. And I think he has stood out for, you know, a, a while now as just a, maybe a breakaway star from this thing eventually. This was a fantastic segment. No Roman, but you got the big moment of the Heyman bump, and Heyman never bumps. And Russ never sleeps, and Heyman never bumps. Well, you never see Heyman get hit. I guess I should put it that way. <laughs> Actually, people are afraid, you know, because he's got, if you get up close enough to him, he's got such a gravitational pull around his equator. <laughs> Stop it. That, uh, But anyway, so, hey. I'm fucking older than him, and I'm in better physical condition. I'm never going to let him forget it. How about a rematch? I don't know about that. He might hurt me working with me. <laughs> Fuck, at this point, if he fell on me alone. All right, moving on in the show. They had a four-way. And let me see if I get this correct, Brian. The four-way here was to determine the winner of this four-way to advance to the winner of a four-way next week in the finals to determine a challenger to the United States Championship currently held by Austin Theory. Well, they decided to turn over one segment a week to Tony Khan. <laughs> well, apparently it was this one. Uh, no, actually, I don't see Tony's fingerprints on this because the fucking thing didn't take very long. It, it, we, he would have... He would have uh, implored them to go as long as they possibly could. But anyway, it was AJ Styles against Butch, against Escobar, against Waller. And Waller looks like a college freshman on the lacrosse team wearing boxing trunks that somehow wandered into catering and got booked. Or perhaps there were so many people in the match, he just kind of got in line as they were walking out there and nobody noticed. There have been a few times guys have gotten in battle royals that way. <laughs> and they went two minutes to the break and then when they came back i said how can i critique this when it doesn't make any sense and it's the same shit they always do anyway and finally aj was about to win when suddenly on the screen that he was conveniently facing as he was about to give the finishing move to some fucking body cross carrying cross is on the screen has beaten up Apparently, Gallows and Anderson. So how the fuck did he manage to do these two giants? So AJ, of course, freezes, drops his opponent, and leaves the ring so he can be beaten up in the entranceway. And Escobar splashed Waller, one, two, three. Did I miss any of the finer points? No, and you're not wrong to point out how stupid it is for AJ to do that, but when you really think of the other option, the other option is he sees that, and then he just shrugs and goes back to the match. Well, <laughs> right, he's, a, beat he's, he's, he's 10 seconds away from winning the thing, and <laughs> it's going to take him 45 seconds to get backstage at least to whatever set that they have their 
prearranged muggings at. <laughs> so what's 10 seconds fucking difference? Win the match, then run. I mean, Gallows and Anderson, again, it's not like we're talking about, you know, the fucking, the Olsen twins or something. The Olsen it, twins? You know, the some, you know, defenseless <laughs> children or females or weak people. It's fucking Gallows and Anderson. It's one guy. What, did Scarlet take out Anderson so that he could have Gallows all to himself? She distracted them. That's what she does. That's her role. Well, they were distracted all the way down on the fucking floor, groaning in pain. See, it worked. That's some heavy-duty distraction. <laughs> all right. Moving along, it was time, as a matter of fact, overdue, that we see L.A. Knight. Yeah. And now they've figured it out. He doesn't, all he has to do is come out, they just sent him out to the entranceway. He got a huge reaction. He cuts a promo. They chant L.A. Night constantly. And he just says, everybody's using my name to get news and or get views and clicks or whatever. I'm the best decision the WWE ever made. And I'm coming for Theory's title. Call me Megastar. Call me GOAT. You will call me Champ. But you doesn't got to call me Johnson. And just and, don't and he, call me Eli Drake. Yeah, just and whatever you do, don't call me Max Dupree. Uh, but he came out, did a promo. He's going to win the fucking U.S. title. He does his thing, L.A. Night, and he goes back. That's all he needs. And I'm, it's it's a rib at this point. Maybe they finally, you know, are realizing it now. Yeah, do you think that's what this is? They've kind of slowed down, but they're still, you know, again, he wasn't on that MSG show, but the YouTube clip of the Hit Row thing went, you know, next to the tribal court, that was the next highest views, and it was a phenomenal view count. This here, it was at the end of the show, so you haven't seen him all show, he comes out, the people explode, he doesn't really do much. Do you think maybe they recognize, look, this guy is getting a reaction everywhere, his merch is moving, we've seen that. He's one of the biggest merch movers now in the company in terms of just shirts. And by the way, his shirts don't look that good. Imagine when he gets good shirts. Yeah. They're really going to sell. He can, if he thing. can move bad shirts, he'll, he'll goddamn move good shirts. I'd rather wear a good shirt than a bad shirt any day. Could you see? Because again, it still is under Vince's control, no matter what they want to say. Could you see them saying, all right, we recognize something here, pal. We're going to slow things down and try to figure out how to get you figured into a better role. Well, I think that's hopefully what they're doing here. And, you know, that's exactly what they should do. And and he doesn't need to beat everybody. As we've mentioned, he's a, a wrestling type of heel where he can do a job every once in a while, get a little heat after, come back with the microphone or whatever. He doesn't have to go on a long undefeated streak, but he's certainly got to be, you know, presented as, as competitive with the main event guys. and you know, also not being beaten all the time on television because that takes part of the aura away after a while. See, that's the thing right there. If during a Bloodline segment or during a Cody Rhodes thing on Raw with, with Brock or, you know, what other main eventers there are, if that music hit and he came out there and he was treated on everyone else's level, it would work and people are ready for it. But you can't have any more things where the music hits and he comes out there and he <laughs> takes, a, takes a powder. Or, he, or he's talking to fucking Otis and Shoosh Boy or whatever. Yeah. It just, it, 
it's past that. They better recognize. Anyway, I was barely able to recognize what was going on after this because we watched the whole show to see the bloodline. But the main event for the women's title, the aforementioned Bianca Belair against Oscar. And uh, basically, this is the main event. This is for the women's championship. Bailey and EO come into the arena waving tickets. They're going to sit in the front row with tickets. That old deal. They go 90 seconds in the match. And then Charlotte comes into the arena with a ticket. And she's going to sit down. And they go to the break. When they come back, by this time, they've only got fucking seven minutes on the air. And they go another three more minutes or so. And then Bianca gives Oscar her finish on the announce desk, and that still looks awkward to me and not a an impressive bump that is worth the potential for fucking something to go wrong. And Bailey and EO hop the rail, and Charlotte hops the rail and boots Bailey and then tells Bianca she's trying to help her there, but EO posts Charlotte and shows Bianca the case like, I'm going to cash in. And Charlotte goes to spear EO, but EO moves and Charlotte spears Bianca and gets fucking somebody disqualified. The referee rang the bell. I've lost track at this point of who that might be getting disqualified. And then EO knocked out Charlotte with the case and threw Oscar in the ring. And Bailey was trying to tell the referee that they wanted to cash in, but Oscar blew the mist in Bailey's face and then grabbed her belt and left before they could cash the case in. So it's another case of no case being cashed. Okay? Yeah, here's the problem with the bloodline not being at the end of the show. <laughs> I was kind of zoned out by this point. After Charlotte jumped the rail and was yelling, I'm trying to help you! I was like, oh, okay. And then when more people got involved, I was kind of, I was zoned out. All righty. But that was uh, Bloodline, I mean, SmackDown. They ought to just change the name of the show. WWE Bloodline. All righty then. Well, speaking of saving time, everybody should save up some time this week so that they can peruse the various podcasts that are proffered on the podcasting platform known as the Arcadian Vanguard Podcast Network. That's right. Thank you very much. You can get information about all the shows on Twitter, at Super Podcasts, or on Facebook, at facebook.com slash Arcadian Vanguard. A few notes, of course. Every day, wake up and get the wrestling news for free. Your free daily wrestling newscast. Get it at thewrestlingnews.com or look for Arcadian Vanguard's The Wrestling News wherever you find your favorite podcasts, every single day get all the news, concise and to the point, no opinion, no conjecture, no fee, just the wrestling news. Check it out today, thewrestlingnews.com. Also want to make mention, as we did at the top, and in case you missed it, all feeds for the experience and the drive-through have been updated. The latest shows are now there. The newest shows will be put there. Everyone can go to bed now. Everything's okay. <laughs> go to bed, Georgie. Want to make mention of this week's episode of Shut Up and Wrestle with Brian Solomon, his guest, Johnny Photo, John Giamundo, at least that's how I read it here, I hope I pronounced that correctly, former chief WWE photographer. He talks about the infamous diva shoots, hanging out with the NWO, staying out at Kevin Dunn's shot, and so much more. Hear it today, 
suawpod.com or look for Shut Up and Wrestle with Brian Solomon wherever you find your favorite podcasts. And of course, the 605 Super Podcast, The Mothership! Go through the archive today at 605pod.com wherever you find your favorite podcast, The 605 Super Podcast, The Mothership. And now are we going to travel through time because we're going to take a break in our recording so that we can evaluate uh, the collision offering for Saturday night, July 15th, which is about to take place. And then we will morph through time and come back after that's done to finish the program talking about that program. Correct? That is correct. Tell me when you're ready to travel through time and I will... Get everything well, just, I, you know, beam me up, Scotty. Just hit the fucking button. It's, it, hopefully it won't be painful. We are in the future. Hey! It's amazing how, you know, I, I feel energized. I feel rested. As a matter of fact, after that television program last night, I got up early this morning and I have been out in the yard with my pole saw and the Monroe brothers. And they have been landscaping Sycamore Island down by Cornet Creek. At least they were until they ran into a, a wasp nest that was buried deep in the side of the creek bank and had to run over and get some spray. But they're back at it, and I'm watching them from afar. And I've been out there and been all, all energized and sweaty because of the wonderful wrestling that we were allowed to see for once. Actually, it's not even for once now. Collision is now, can we say officially, the best wrestling show on television? I think it's, it's not def- even close, is it? I don't think anything else has been better. It's definitely the best wrestling show of the year, and it's been, I mean, this week's show was incredible. But before we discuss that, and and I know there's there's news emanating from south of the border about some of the other AEW, I guess you can call them talent, they're on the roster. And we're not sure what exact what do we even know where this happened otherwise than the country? Do we know a specific it was after a triple A match last night? It was in Tijuana. It was Triple Mania in Tijuana, I believe. Triple Mania in Tijuana. Was a donkey on the show. Will you stop it? This is a big well, event. I- this is the biggest event for Triple A every year. Triple A. Well, that's why I figured they'd bring in the donkey, the dancing bear, everything they could Throw at them. There are no donkeys currently involved with AAA. But unfortunately. That I know of. Well, I'm not saying, I wasn't saying unfortunately about that. I'm saying unfortunately about the the topic that we're about to discuss. Unfortunately, see, old Kenny, old Kenny and old Don Fallis, I guess they're not welcome on collision because there's other people that are not welcome on Wednesday nights. So they're being kept so to have employment on Saturday night instead of being with the AEW crew doing the great collision program they were down in Tijuana riding the the donkey over to the event that they had down I mean I can't it has to be some kind of dog and pony show because how else could what we are about to describe happen Don Fallis was attacked not by a fucking heated fan, not by a mark, but by a goddamn random photographer in the middle of a press conference that a, 
And we have audio, however you want to play it. Well, yes, but there are no fans. This is not during the show. This is after the show. They were apparently outside on a football field type of stadium thing. And now there's a bunch of people asking Kenny questions about his match that he had with Viking O. And they're all either shooting with their phones or they're, they've got cameras. And it's like, you saw the tent where, you know, I guess maybe they had some Gatorade under the fucking tent. There's nobody in the stands. There's nobody there. It's the, the press conference, the media scrum, right? And they're on the sidelines of the football field. Have I described this visually appropriately enough for people to get the picture? I don't know if it's a football field or a baseball field or a soccer it's field. It's some kind of sporting stadium where they're on the sidelines of it. And it's after the show and there's a bunch of, and these don't, these look like, you know, obviously everybody that's there is shooting it. It's not just random fans standing around. There's not that many people there. Where are they, 30 or 40? The people that are standing around appear to have passes around their neck, so you would think yes. they were cleared. Uh, like you said, there are a few people with the media shooting on their phone, but that's not abnormal nowadays with the media. Right. There are also people with microphones and cameras. Everyone seems to yeah. be a part of this. And then suddenly, old Don comes out and starts yelling at Kenny, as often happens in these media scrums, right? And they're going back and forth. And then who would take a shit comes and jumps on Kenny and he's down on him, beating him up. And you see some, some guys that are mostly dressed in black that look like they would probably be some of the promotions people or whatever that is, they're starting to try to get the fucking heel off the baby face. And you then they've got him kind of like, oh, come on now. It, it looks like everybody's with this fucking program, right? And then as they pull, take a shit one way, and Kenny's selling over here on the on the field, on the ground, Don runs over to be the chicken shit heel manager and runs over and starts trying to give him the Jimmy Hart pitter-pat fucking kicks, and suddenly some random guy that's got a camera that's taking pictures or whatever grabs Don from behind and you see this going off camera because they're shooting the angle that they think is going on, right? They're not shooting. They don't know they're some guy's going to go into business for himself. <laughs> and the fucking guy, the photographer reaches around and grabs Don and you can see there's be a little struggle and you see the photographer's leg go in between Don's leg. He's doing a leg shoot leg trip on Don Callis. Like he's goddamn a member of the Gracie family or something. And fucking takes him down to the ground with a whoomp. And you hear Don's going, Conan! Conan, he's... That's my favorite thing in the second part of the... Because there's two different cuts of the video. It's like the Sapruta film. No one has the exact moment. Now they've got a couple of different angles when people noticed there was something going on, but nobody's got the unobstructed thing. Conan! Conan! <laughs> And then when, when, then when the other camera goes over to him, the guy's on top of Don. He still doesn't realize what he's done. And Don is going, are you fucking ribbon? What the fuck is going on here? And another guy comes over and tells the photographer, get off it. And the photographer gets up and just lets go and doesn't realize he's done anything wrong. <laughs> no one else seems to be bothered either. No, because he's got a rear naked choke on fucking callus on the ground. So apparently he hurt his fucking ankle and 
fucking whatever else when he took him down. And there's Don going, are you fucking ribbing me? We're doing an angle out here. This guy's not smart. He wanted to get back into the business so bad. He has a giant scar on his head. Now he's getting attacked by photographers on soccer fields in Mexico. Uh, And people on Twitter heard the initial news. The initial headline was attacked by fan, right? Well, the original, let me, let me, let's go in order here. Brian Alvarez broke the news. At least that's where I saw it. And everyone else I've seen said that this is where the first report was. Here's the quote. Everything was an angle up to that point. But then a fan who was apparently upset about what Don had said to Kenny (laughs) jumped Don from behind, ripped his suit, concussed his eardrum, and busted open his mouth while he was trying to choke out Don from behind. Don was screaming profanities at the fan. (laughs) Callus's neck and ankle were both injured in the attack. And he's headed to San Diego for medical attention. I'm not laughing that he's hurt, but I'm like, yes, he was screaming profanities, but it wasn't like, I'll fucking kill you, you motherfucker. It was like, are you fucking ribbing me? Get this motherfucker off me. Who the fuck? What the fuck kind of fucking dog and pony show is going on here? Because the guy wasn't trying to fight him. He was restrained. He saw the other people because that's what he leg tripped him, took him down, had him in a rear naked choke and was restraining him. Like he was yeah. one of these people that go off at the, on the subway, right? <laughs> That's right. And because he saw other people doing it and thought he'd help. And I was telling you before we went on the air, there in Baltimore in 1986, in at the Civic Center there, the Baltimore Arena, um, we were working with the Rock and Roll Express. I was handcuffed at ringside to Jimmy Valiant, right? And... We're having a match, and Bobby takes a bump out. There's a couple of people at ringside, but one we've never seen before and never saw again. I don't know whether he was a local newspaper photographer or maybe one of the... He looked like he was young enough he could be in his senior year of college. He was like 6'3", 6'4", and two fucking 75, but not... Oh, wow. Not a football player. No, fat, big, big, fat, you know, corn-fed. Like the football coach would have looked at him coming down the hall and then seen that he was a fat piece of shit and, you know, no. But he was big. And he's there at ringside and Bobby takes a bump through the Bobby of the nice Pagana world of all people. Takes a bump through the ropes and he sees the guy at the last minute and he tries to catch himself. But he and Riga, they're going to do something. And as he lands, he staggers back and bumps the guy, but he also says, you know, get the fuck out of the way. Like, hey, watch out. You're going to get hurt. We're going to do something. And the guy, instead of getting out of the way, stood his ground and shoved Bobby in front of 10,000 people in a fucking bottle. The world tag team champion just got shoved by the goddamn fat fucking newspaper photographer, right? (laughs) And Bobby goes back up and he's trying to work with him one more time, but he shoves him double. He said, I said, fuck off out of here, right? Trying to get smart him up, give him the issue or the Iggy, right? And the guy fucking shoved him back hot right putting his camera to hot shoved him back and here we go bobby started fucking throwing right hands and suddenly the cops who had been sitting there at ringside obviously didn't react with the shove shove because you know it could be guys doing shit at ringside when they saw bobby laying in on this big ass who was throwing back by the way the big fat fuck they immediately grabbed this fucking guy and took, I don't know what his fucking issue was, but he was not going to move, not going to get out of the way, and he was going to stand his fucking ground. 
but it's, I mean, sometimes people ain't fucking smart. I don't know, you know, so, but that again, Don's got a great lawsuit. If, if he'd like to in pursue Mexico. it. Yeah. Well, oh yeah. Well, well, Tijuana is in Mexico, isn't it? It's right down from San Juan Capistrano. I don't know about that, but. Or is it Don Juan Capistrano? I don't know about that. But anyway, so that's what happened. So this fucking knucklehead thought that he'd join into pulling these guys apart because they were really going to have a, a fight there. Conan! Conan! <laughs> you fucking ribbon? What the? Get this fucking guy off of me. What the fuck? Did you listen to Omega's answers to the questions? Because that's how it started. I started for about 30 seconds and I... Do you want to hear uh, any audio, I guess? I'll hear on the show is the question. No, I, only the audio of the guy on Don, because the Kenny audio was, my God, is a, a, a fucking substitute for propofol. He speaks that way to everybody, apparently. All right, let me go to, because it was a cut, and here's where Takeshita was on top of Kenny hitting him. So you'll hear Callis, because he's just talking shit like a manager in the background. So you'll hear him, and then there's a second version, which is a little louder. That's where you can hear the... Conan! But hold on, here we go. Shut up! Get the hot gun! No, no, no! What, Conan? <laughs> Coughing. Conan! And now Callus is being pulled away by a fan. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Hey, 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 hey. Or by the photographer. Kenny, okay? What the fuck is going on here? And this Omega still doing the end. Yeah, no, the Omega was the one. Get up! Oh, wait, let me, uh. Go ahead. Let me, let me lower what? that. That's version two. Well, let me, just real quick. Omega was the one going, get off of me, but you could hear. Don was going, Conan, and he said, Jesus Christ. <laughs> the first thing I think was, no, no, no. When the guy grabbed him, he realized he didn't know what the fuck he was doing. He was, no, no, no. And then Conan, but he also, he was the one going, Jesus Christ, what the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> he's in the middle of this whole sudden, he's dragged yeah. out and choked out. <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Remember when AEW security, like, choked out? or They dragged down Frankie Kazarians. They didn't know he was going to be a part of something. They yeah. just some guy in a hood. And they like beat the crap out of him. <laughs> but here's the uh, second version, a little louder. Hey, get the gun! No, no, no! What, Conan? Hey, Conan! Oh, no, 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 no. Hey, yeah, 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 yeah. That's Conan. <laughs> oh, and there goes the, uh... The end of that. Yeah, that, that Conan was, yeah, 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 yeah. Well, I don't know if that was Conan encouraging no, I think, this. I think it was. No, it was, it was, he was going, hey, 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 let him go, let him go, that kind of thing. Oh, that I thought it was like an Conan encouraging, like, yeah, 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 do it. No, no, no. He was, it was the other way. He was. <laughs> but the early, yeah. rep the early reports were fan attacking, clearly, because there were people were saying, like, this is an example. Look at how much heat he has. This is the greatest heel work. Oh, That's good really God. not what I'm this eight. was. The fucking, you know, the Glinda the Good Witch could get knifed in Mexico. That's not a high bar to begin with, but there wasn't even any real fans there. Just a couple of marks, apparently. With cameras around their necks. Oh, my God. Hey, what was the story? Because I can't remember. I, 
I think it's someone, but I, now I don't want to say because I may be wrong. Didn't you get into a tug of war with a ring announcer that wasn't smart to anything one night? Oh, um, the first time, the oh, what was his name? The Greensboro ring announcer, oh, Tom, Doctor Tom Miller. Dr. Tom, Tom Miller. Miller. He didn't know that I was supposed to take the microphone and introduce my guys because that way. And again, for the younger listeners, there could be entire house show cards in the old days where a wrestler would never touch the microphone. And most of the time, the announcer was told never to let the microphone go unless you're told to. Well, nobody had told him. I mean, I was doing it every night in house shows, TV, whatever, and I go to get the microphone and he ain't going to give it to me. And I'm fucking tugging back and forth and I said, bro, I got to do this and I got it. And I th- and there was sometimes also it would depend. That's not the only time it's happened, but usually it would be a local announcer that may not even be smart. Maybe somebody from the fucking VFW that's the local sponsor, and they don't want to give you the microphone. Well, I'm going to get it anyway, motherfucker. And you know, so every once in a while that would happen when you had just a wide variety of local people around the periphery of the ring. Let me ask you this, because this does say something about where we are today and what is heat, what is real heat, what are fans smiling while booing, you know, they're different things. What happened to Don Callis here, if we're being honest, based on what we see with AEW and their audience and these shows, he's had very little reason to have his guard up, even though he's a heel manager. Oh yeah, you don't have your guard up anymore. I wouldn't have actually, if I was in the country of Mexico, I wouldn't have had that many people behind me. That they did there, but you know. Well, that, that's going to be my question. Even, and again, I know you can't compare you and Mid-South in 84 to Don Callis now. It's a different animal. The world's different. The wrestling world's different. But if you're a heel in a situation like this where it's a press event, even then do you have your guard down? Or should you even then be a little, you know, one of these guys you know, may take this yeah. too seriously? Well, no. See, that's the thing is that. And you got to recognize your venue. And I'm not just saying just because it was in Mexico. Uh, I've thought many times in, in some, you've seen some of the independent shows in the Northeast, you know, where guys would be doing things out in the middle of the people. And, you know, yeah, that was always questionable to me. And usually I was a baby face on Dennis Corluzo's shows. But, you know, anything in the ECW crowd, you would never know for sure. And now with the WWE event, there's security up the yin yang and with the exception of every once in a while, the weirdo that comes out and tackles somebody cause they want to get on TV. Oh yeah. Rollins in Brooklyn. Remember? Yeah. You know, but that's, so that's the thing is that if this was the territory days, a lot of the positions that people are in now where it rarely happens, but does, and they get tackled or something happens. They wouldn't have been in those positions in those days to begin with because you would have known at that point that there was an overwhelming odds-on probability something was going to happen. You couldn't go out into people. You couldn't be on an outdoor field. There weren't press events to begin with in those days. And, you know, but the equivalent was like in the Houston, Sam Houston Coliseum being up on that platform with Paul Bosch doing the live promos. You had three or four feet or five feet on the people so they couldn't get to you, but you had to get down the steps without them throwing shit at you and get back to the locker room, whatever. But um, everybody's let their guard down now because they're, and even now the last times, a number of times I was managing at ringside, wasn't really 
looking around behind my back or whatever, whether I was a baby face or a heel, just because it doesn't happen anymore. But every once in a while, something happens. But you, you were always on guard anytime you were in a public place in, in any type of performance in those days because there was a high probability something was going to happen no matter where you were. Should AEW sign the photographer? Mixed matches. Kenny and the photographer versus Callis and Takeshita. I don't know. I think the photographer better retire undefeated. <laughs> I have a feeling if Don finds out, you know, he, I don't know. He seemed like a big guy. He like a big well, no, guy. I mean, if he finds out that the guy's connected with some company, Don can sue, that would be a great opportunity. Conan. <laughs> like he's trying to what get him to pick up the phone upstairs. Conan. <laughs> <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> All right. Should we move on to collision? Yes. All right, well, if all the little colliders are out there ready for the review, we're going to talk about the big match and more on Collision last night, July 15th. And just at the top of the segment here, can we say that has there, when was the last time that good a tag team wrestling match was on television anywhere for anybody? I could not tell you. And if I thought about it, it would probably be a match of either FTR or The Revival. And how many of them were TV versus TakeOver specials or whatever? Yeah, well, and and that's what I'm talking because uh, obviously the trilogy with the Briscoes was all on pay-per-view or some <laughs> some method of distribution, not national television. And those were different matches anyway. This was... We've seen... in. FTR are masters, uh, because they're students of tag team wrestling, they're masters of different kinds of matches, and we've seen the bloody grudge match, chaos chain match with the Briscoes, but this was two wrestling teams, and, you know, it used to be like a wrestling team in the territory days was Tully and Arn or Jack and Jerry Briscoe, or the Midnight Express, the, the Moondogs or the Sheep Herders were the brawling teams the crazy teams and ftr have managed to be the specialists in both of those widely disparaging styles here over the last year and a half or two so anyway let's start out with the program at the at the top they do the locker room interviews just brief enough to get you into it it's like a wrestling program imagine that the music what? behind it that they're using is yeah. perfect. It reminds everyone of Saturday Night's main event, but even there and here, it's perfect. And, you know, once we get through Elton, Kevin Kelly was in Japan for New Japan. We got Nigel McGuinness and my friend Ian Riccoboni, who I worked with a couple of times. We did the Ring of Honor pay-per-view and the NWA tournament, blah, blah, the Crockett Cup, blah, blah, blah. I like Ian. And we always talk about how Ian and Caprice have done a fantastic job. And the the critique that I will give Ian is he was trying too hard here to do a fantastic job, wasn't he? I thought he did a really good job. I wouldn't say that. Um, I thought by, by the not just in the match, in the tag match, but by the end of the program, I was afraid he's going to hurt himself. He was really excited. <laughs> you know, I just... 
Yeah, I don't think, you know, again, I don't think Kevin Kelly is, I don't think Kevin Kelly was as natural 25 years ago as he is now. I think it's hard for a lot of these guys to be natural out there. And I think Ian's really good. And I think the only thing traditionally, and I didn't have it too much of a problem uh, for this show, but traditionally, sometimes it feels a little less natural, but I think that'll kind of go away with more and more work and apparently I, they do, I, apparently they just signed him to a multi-year deal so we'll be seeing well, a lot good. more of them no i'm i'm a, a supporter i think yeah, that he's good. i think that ian should have been more last night like he always uh, he ian should have been more ian uh and and he was he was a little little much but anyway nevertheless i did like the cowboy hat and the pink suit he managed to because they were in in calgary for the stampede so he got the stampede and the Hart family colors in all at the same time but they started the show with Gin and Juice and FTR. Two out of three falls, 60-minute time limit, World Tag Team Championship. Everything was laid out in the introduction. And by seven minutes into the program, they're ringing the bell. And the people were ready for this. You could tell at the start they had the, the FTR chance, obviously. But they didn't rush the start. Because the, not only they knew they were putting in time, but they're telling a story. They didn't start with the goddamn landing on Omaha Beach when you're telling the story of World War II, right? So they needed to start out, and the heels got on the bicycle, and they felt each other out a little bit. But then, the I don't know who else, how else to say this, but anybody watching these guys work in this match, and then evaluating how smooth they look, how they wrestle, how they are the ring positioning, the timing. They're a whole different species from most of the other talent on this roster. And it's obvious. It's visually obvious. I don't know why that some people can't see the difference between the fucking guy in, in the outfit, you know, going up on the top rope for a synchronized dive and what these guys are doing that takes skill. Anyway. And almost for an hour here. I mean, that's the thing. I've never seen a Young Bucks match that could approach this match. Oh, for fuck's sake. Well, beyond beyond the different styles. Again, it was all of that, and it was an hour. It was an hour, this whole thing. Because they're telling a story, and it makes sense from one thing to the other, and they build to the end because you'd rather have the climactic scene of the movie at the end instead of 15 minutes in, and then you got to sit through another hour and 45, right? It has to be in the proper order. And also, they didn't do things in the first 30 minutes to kill each other to the point where when they did something in the later points of the match, it would have some meaning. They didn't survive a shooting after 20 minutes to be beaten by a goddamn blackjack in 55 or whatever. But right here also, uh, Jay White and, and Juice Robinson both, I didn't think much of, well, I like Juice's gimmick, but I didn't think of much of Jay White because I can't even remember when he first came in who he fucking wrestled. But it wasn't this and it wasn't these guys. And I think, and it, was I a think, and I think it was a throwaway thing. Like he showed up on Wednesday to be announced for Friday. Yeah, so whatever the fuck. But these also, these kind of matches with these kind of talents, this is the way they get over, by having good, memorable matches and showings 
to where the the fans begin to realize they're consistent. When we see them, it's going to be good. That's the way a wrestler or a wrestling team gets over. Rather, that's what I told Jim Hurd that time about Arn Anderson and Sid Vicious. I said you'd rather have Sid than Arn. I said Sid will draw you a million dollars in one night. He said, "What's the matter with that?" I said, "Because after they've seen it, they don't want to see it again." But Arn Anderson would draw you money every night for five years, just not a million all at once. That was the fucking principle. These are guys that you want in your main event mix because they're dependable and they can produce with anybody. And then you filter in the other, you know, the, uh, the, the people you can steal a house off of every once in a while. Anyway, so they, they did some nice smooth work and they went to break after four minutes, which I didn't have a problem with because it's two out of three falls and they're going to go a while. But then when they came back, the way we've been talking about formatting the show worked. They gave this match as much time on the air as they could and then shortened up their segments in a second hour. So when they came back, they did an uninterrupted 12-minute segment. And this is where they really started kicking in. And just some of them, I'm not going to try to blow-by-blow this thing because it was insane, but Juice can throw punches. Imagine that. And I wrote Cash and Juice, great fucking wrestling, because they were wrestling. Remember we said here earlier in this program, I couldn't tell whether Nick Wayne could work or not after I'd seen his match because they didn't do any wrestling moves. Well, here I've I've actually remembered what wrestling moves looked like. They did so many of them. And again, then they would go into a running spot, and it would pay off, and then... They're laying the chops in, but they're not standing there doing the ridiculous, okay, hit me, I dare you. They're chopping each other stiff, and they're reacting to them. Yeah. And they're trying to use them as offensive weapons instead of, and there's none of this ridiculous, I'll get you in the corner and I'll slap my leg with one hand while I'm rubbing my tummy with the other and slap you like I'm a goddamn Girl Scout. It's a fight. Uh, they they started heat on Dax with a shoulder into the post. And that, you know, all these injuries play into shit later on. Again, suddenly, boom, Dax is fighting back with the stiffs, chops, the big clotheslines. They do a series of really nice false finishes, and suddenly, White hits his finish on Cash, boom, one, two, three, and the challengers are one fall up. And that first fall was one of the best tag team matches I've ever seen. Yeah. <laughs> and that's the thing. And we got to see it because there had been it 19 minutes since the bell, but 16 minutes of it had been on the air. They took one break in that time. And, you know, by so, the way, you know, I didn't even thought about that uh, like that, but you bring it up. Having so much match with so few commercial interruptions kept me through the picture in picture. Yeah, because now you're invested. You've been sitting there watching something that long. It's not like, you know, you put a fucking tape in, and in four minutes you say, well, I'm not really out of it. But after you spend 20 minutes, yeah, you're kind of going to see what the fuck. Anyway. And, of course, when they go to break, the the next fall would continue after the, you know, rest period or whatever. So they come back. The second fall is in progress, but they're working on Dax's arm that had been posted before. And Cash and White did some excellent stuff. 
And the thing is that I said they're students of tag team wrestling. Neither one of these teams is a copy. And especially FTR is not a copy of either Tully and Arn or the Rock and Roll Express or the Midnight Express or the Funks or whoever, but they take all kinds of shit that all those guys used to do. They did the Midnight Express, I'll pick the guy up for an ass bump, but I'll drop him with the leg drop over the opponent. And they did other shit that they've seen different teams do in the past, and nobody does this shit anymore. And their positioning is great. Anyway, then they get some heat on cash, and cash can sell. And they got the FTR chance going in the crowd. And Cash is fighting back against both of them, and Jay White's ripping at his face. There's clear heels and baby faces in the style of work here. And it's not that, you know, one team is Bob Backlund in his collegiate outfit, and the other team is the fucking Sheik with a pencil carving somebody up. It's that the heel team, gin and juice, as I call them, they goddamn, they'll stick a finger in your eye or they'll take a fucking shortcut or they'll cheat behind the referee's back. And FTR will too, but they don't do it first. They do it when provoked. Those little subtle things. And everybody's in the right place mentally and psychologically. They got some, this is awesome. Ch oh, I'm sorry. First of all, they actually had a hot tag. Cash fought back and got a hot tag to Dax where he had to overcome a couple bumps in the road and, you know, get it at the last second. And then Dax did a big comeback and nice stuff and handled both of him himself and hit a brain buster on juice for a two count. And then they got the, this is awesome shit going. And, you know, it, it was back and forth like that. They kept everything moving, but not at a hundred miles an hour constantly. There would be ebbs and flows and then something would pay off. And then the, Heels would take control again. And this was um, the right crowd for this match, too. The crowd was with it. The crowd was making noise even. Like you said, they didn't go too fast. You wouldn't know it because the crowd was active the whole time. But yeah, because they were, they were seeing something on a regular enough basis that they could really react to, but they weren't just worn out by, my God, this guy's flying this direction and this guy's diving on this guy. And it's just, what the fuck? And then FTR went for their superplex splash combination. But Cash splashed Jay White's knees that he had drawn up, and then Juice came off the other top and splashed Dax. And this is complicated stuff, and they're hitting it not only in the right place, but with the perfect timing. And then uh, Juice wasn't the legal guy, which everybody pointed out. So he had to get Jay to cover Dax, and it only got a two count by that point. And that got a giant roar, and the people were standing up at that point. And then uh, they did this spot again, perfect timing. Juice grabs a headlock on Dax, but Dax backs him up to shoot him off and blind tags Cash behind him, shoots Juice off and drops down. Cash comes in and leapfrogs Juice. Juice keeps hitting the ropes, both of them drop down, and then into the shatter machine or big rig or whatever they call it these days. It, it boom. One, two, three for the second fall. That was a variation on the classic Tennessee tiptoe spot. And they did it perfectly, and everybody was, the, the timing was excellent. And that was a 17-minute segment. So now at the end of the second fall. That was one of the best tag team matches I've ever seen, that second yeah, fall. Yeah, the second fall. 
And they'd 39 minutes since the bell, they'd had 33 minutes of it on the air. And so you're able to feel like you're experiencing it, what's going on, instead of you can't keep track of it because they break it up every six minutes. And again, something we haven't mentioned, this is not even, it's not even like the Midnight Rock and Roll or the Midnight and Fantastics or any of the classic territory tag team matches where we were able to work with these guys in house shows for, you know, five to ten times a week. I would think that these guys have not worked with each other more than what a few the last week and limited amounts at that point they haven't been in the same place right uh well just robinson used to be in developmental i just don't remember if him and ftr overlapped in terms of actual matches yeah it, it, it hadn't been bobo brazil and the chic in terms of non-stop working with each other for 30 years where they know each other so they had to really not only adapt on the fly and there were a few bobbles that i saw where guys were adapted on the fly on spots that they were sprinting through and there's nothing wrong with that because they adapted and you couldn't fucking tell problems but then they come back again and the third fall is in progress and now they've got the four-way going where they're now they brought the fight into it and there was not one goddamn piece of furniture harmed in the making of this motion picture and they were only on the floor for this part that we're about to talk about and golly, and nobody bled. But they broke multiple of the rules that we talked about earlier in the show. Well, remind <laughs> me at the end to talk about that. Remind me at the, hold on, I'm going to write down broken rules. Talk about it. <laughs> broken rules. because Well, no, but here, hold on. I'm writing that down. Here's one thing. So they got, they got the four-way, and Jay White backdropped Dax on the apron. And I'm... Uh, let me just say this as a blanket statement on this match. Everything in wrestling is dangerous. If your kid is a high school cheerleader and she's doing a cartwheel on the sidewalk, that's technically, that's potentially dangerous. She can break her ankle, whatever. Everything in wrestling is dangerous, but there was nothing unprofessional, egregiously unsafe, or done in a manner in which that I wouldn't myself have okayed a particular thing in this match. And in some cases, when guys are good enough, I don't mind telling people when somebody fucks up because it's obvious, but when guys are good enough to be doing little things to make them safer and still create the magic, I don't want to pop their bubble. But the backdrop on the apron was the best one I've seen. They did at one point, goddamn, we may have already past it but they did a vertical suplex over the top where i think it was cash and juice and they both went over and that was one of the best examples of that bump i've ever done and i don't know how you could do or i've ever done i've ever seen i don't know how you could have done it any more safely and professionally and still have the risk involved in everything but there was some stuff in this match that yes was i'll say it now was was banned by the you know, the memo, but without permission, with but, but that's well, and obviously these people had permission, but still you can't, that's why there was never anything. As I mentioned earlier in the program that we did yesterday, you, this was never written down and you couldn't have a list of rules like that because in the, the old days, because 
it wasn't necessary because people worked with common sense and self-preservation, and since no guaranteed money, their careers uh, came first. And you didn't have to tell people not to do stupid shit. And there were always people that could do shit that was incredibly safe that other people had no business even trying. I don't want the guy at River City Flooring doing open-heart surgery on me, right? So that's, you know, and the guys knew who to let do something to them and who not most of the time. So anyway, this, uh, again, a professional match. Everything's got a risk, but these guys knew what the fuck they were doing. The one thing I didn't like, when they do the deal where Dax and Jay fall over the railing, powerbomb over the railing onto the arena floor, and the referee stops it and calls for the doctor, the people had been ballistic at that point. And suddenly teasing the doctor thing and not only stopped the momentum, but I'm afraid took the people momentarily out of things because they thought somebody was really hurt and now they're worried. But then when they started fighting back on the floor, they got them back into it, but it was a slowdown. It may have been the, the wrong kind of slowdown there. I don't know. Am I being too critical? No, I don't think you're being too critical. I think you're the one person allowed to be critical about tag team matches. Uh, you know, I, last time was critical of that one spot at the end of the match last week where they slowed it down and did the uh, yay boo in the middle of the match. Again, a different kind of thing here, but the idea that you can't do anything injury-related because you actually are going to cause the fans now, these kind of fans, to be legitimately concerned to take them out of the match. That's an interesting thing. I mean, these guys probably didn't plan on that when they were thinking it out. Yeah, because I mean, you, can, you can tease injuries, but when something is that hot, is moving that quickly and going that well, and then everybody has to stop, and then they kind of get worried. But, okay, everybody's okay because they're fighting again, but... You know, I just, I feel like that wave could have continued without that momentarily, you know, anyway. If you were determined to go close to an hour, is that a healthy tool to just extend the match? Well, no. And not get see, a count out? Here's, here's the thing. Who's to not say that you couldn't have done the same thing with two guys that weren't legal and let them sell on the outside and let the two guys do a big thing on the inside and all four guys are down, but a doctor's not being called. And that's when people start rumbling and start, you know, doing the on the bleachers or FTR, FTR, or this is, it gives them a chance to chant something and everybody's laying there while the people are making noise. But when the doctor comes in, in, you know, there's still the heel can fucking cross the guy up and you can do angles and other things. But in that moment, you don't need the doctor to step in that late in the match to, to just slow it down for a second. Anyway, um, and there was a couple of suplexes on the floor, which were firm, but safely performed. And they teased a count out and then they basically got all the way in the middle. And, you know, each team was holding his, or each guy was holding his partner up. They were so fatigued, and they got a round of applause on the four-way face-off. And they go to the slugfest. And that was where a cash suplexed juice. And both of them went over the top rope perfect, and now they go to the break. And that was a six-minute segment, but they'd been 48 minutes since the bell and 39 minutes on the air. So this is still, again, it's cooking. And then they come back for the big one. 
Dak's got a, they started trading the sharpshooter because that was getting over in Calgary. And at one point, Dak's hit a belly to back on Jay White off the top rope, but he couldn't make the cover. So the referee was counting on both. And then came the five minute call from the ring announcer on the PA. And it was clear as, as a bell on the broadcast too, wasn't it, Brian? Dasha. It was very clear. Everybody heard it. And then the announcers referred to it. And, and Nigel is screaming, you've only got five minutes because he's pulling for gin and juice. And that's exactly what we had talked about a few weeks ago on the program, the draw between MJF and Adam Cole. If that had, you know, it, that came out of nowhere and people were, eh. But if it had been announced, it would have added dramaticness, drama, to the last few minutes of the match, which I think you can agree it did here. People started an extra little squirming and squealing because they knew that the clock was ticking. And the guys have an excuse to get a little bit more frantic in their efforts, right, in the closing moments of this thing. But without trying to, to uh, spoiler alert, blow the finish here, now in the future, as long as they always do at least the five-minute call. I think you ought to call every five minutes, but what the fuck, I'm old-fashioned. As long as they do the five-minute call in the future, now people aren't going to know. Because the next time they call five minutes, whether it's 30 minutes or it's an hour, somebody's going, oh, they're going to go, they're going to go to a draw. They just call five minutes. Well, they didn't last time. Well, that's why they will this time. Well, maybe that's what they want us to think. Wait a minute. So if they did it last time, would they do it twice in a row just to cross us up? They won't fucking know. And in four months, if you do another almost time limit draw, and it's one in the last minute or two, but then do another time limit draw a couple months later or whatever, then they'll never know whether you're going to go to a draw and you can make that call and it increases the drama at the end and they can't know for sure in their own mind and a little doubt makes them react to whatever that you do next a little more strongly. Does that make sense? I think it makes perfect sense. So and anyway, I, And I also think when we talk about these matches specifically, this is match two, match one went 30 minutes, match two went an hour. There's still a third match, so now you have this rule for the announcing the time going into that. Well, and also, just before we go to the last couple minutes of this match, you know that's what the Anderson brothers used to do when they had a, a babyface team that could do it. Or that's a, the same principle as Jack Briscoe and Dory Funk Jr. for the title. And there's been other instances when you had really talented workers they would go an hour Broadway, they'd come back with a 90-minute time limit. And the people think, well, there's no fucking way, right? And they, But they would still put in 75 minutes and, you know, and then do a finish or whatever. So is that next? Is it two out of three, 90? Who knows? Standby matches. Standby matches in case it ends early. Anyway, nevertheless, so... They've called the five minutes. Dax dived for the tag, but Juice jerked Cash off the apron and ran him into the stairs. 
violating another rule, but again, safely. He didn't fucking throw the stairs on top of him with the sharp corner in his spleen and then double stomp him off the top rope. Also, this is it. The tag titles are on the line. This is the chance. They have to make it happen here. Yes. They won the Eliminator match for this. And then suddenly FTR turned it around and Dax got the sharpshooter on Jay White and Cash got it on Juice Robinson. And that was a huge pop from the people. But then but they held, they held it for a while, but then they all collapsed exhausted and could, they couldn't keep the sharpshooters. And then Dax pulls his, and this was a nice little touch and point. Dax pulled his knee pad down which the announcers mentioned so he could get further range in the bend of his knee and got the sharpshooter back on Juice and really sat back on it and Juice tapped out at the 58-minute mark. And they had shown 46 minutes of that match on the air. And that everybody was exhausted. Boom, they get their shit together and they've gone within two minutes of the one hour time limit. And I would guess that has to be the longest AEW match past the Ironman match or the marathon or whatever the fuck they called it earlier this year, the 60 minute. And then as people are clapping and applauding and they're doing the replays and all that FTR offer the hands, they offer the handshakes And old Jen and Juice get back up and they hesitate and they get the chance. Shake their hands. Shake their hands. And fucking Jay looks at Dax and spits at his feet and walks off. (laughs) That was fucking great. You prickish heels. But what a fucking match. I mean, it was incredible. And the fact, again, that they could do that with limited experience with these opponents and put that much time in and and keep it fresh and keep it moving was just brilliant. That that could have that could have worked on Crockett TV, Mid-South TV, Florida Television, Georgia Championship Wrestling, any place at any time period, people would have gone crazy over that match. I think, and this may not be a popular opinion, I really don't know, that may be the best FTR match I've ever seen. And we've seen a lot of good ones. We've seen a lot of good ones. We've seen two out of three fall ones. And this one, to me, between the crowd, between the actual guys in there, Jay White and Juice Robinson are really, really good. And they were and are the perfect opponents right now in here for FTR. The match was great. This is the best example of sports-based wrestling. When people say, what do you want from AEW? Why do you hate it? We were promised this. This was the kind of alternative we wanted from WWE. Was this. WWE is going the route of drama and lake drownings and all sorts of stuff. We just want it's serious athletes having ass-kicking matches and nothing stupid. And this may be the best example of it. This episode of Collision, this match specifically... Like I said, maybe the best FTR match. They seem extra motivated, which is a good thing. I mean, they just came out of that Jeff Jarrett program, which left everyone really disappointed. And they seem on top of their game right now, and they've got the right opponents. I will say there's an aggression and not a comfort, but there's something we're seeing from FTR right now. Maybe it's not the time right away, but an FTR heel turn specifically an FTR heel turn on Punk or something, 
could be a big deal on this show. And and here's the thing: when you say it may be the best FTR match, I think you know, so. I think so. Well, but here's the good part about it: it's not like we're comparing this match to uh, football field fuckery or you know one of the ridiculous gimmick matches that Tony comes up with with the you know Buckaroos, Nakukamunga kids, and blah blah blah. The Briscoes and FTR matches were were the grudge matches, the blood feud, the violence, right? That side of wrestling. If you like that style better done well, I'm not talking about garbage wrestling, but I'm talking about a fight, a no no DQ, we're going to fucking fight type of thing. Then, yeah, Briscoes and FTR was great. If you like the wrestling side, then yes, Briscoes and Jay and Juice were excellent. If there's FTR. What did I say? Briscoes and Jay and Juice. Or, I'm sorry, FTR and yes. There's different styles of wrestling as we've always been talking about, but not what the, uh, again, what the Cucamonga kids would have you believe, where they want to have every goddamn goofy outlaw niche style and darling that makes fun of wrestling and makes it look silly and phony and stupid and childish. I'm not talking about those styles. I'm talking about there's different genres of match you can have. Anything from technical to high spot to old-fashioned Tennessee-style brawl to fucking double chain match like the Briscoes and FTR. And you can like different genres within that, but nothing about those makes wrestling obviously phony, stupid, silly, childish, or fake. Or stupid. And I'll so say also, anyway. I think Ian and Nigel did a great job here. I know it wasn't Kevin Kelly, but I thought Ian did really, really good, and I thought well, Nigel no, was and great I'm, with him. I'm, I'm, and again, I'm not trying to slander Ian. I don't want Ian to get upset with me. I'm just, I think by the end of the show, it wasn't even over yet. By the end of the show, he was, ah! I just remember him and Caprice being a little more chill. Um, well, the crowds were a little more chill, too. Well, that's true. They were, Some of them were downright fucking frozen. Um, the Owen Tournament Finals Women's Division was Ruby versus Willow Nightingale. And I wrote, I'm loving this show so much, I'm not taking any chances. Willow won. What did I miss? I watched Willow's entrance because she has a... Like a good, fun, happy energy, and I like it. And she's from Long Island, so I got to support that. But I've just been watching this whole match. And other than in between falls where I ran to the kitchen to grab something, I did not leave the office. I watched picture in picture. I watched a match. I'm sorry to say to Willow and Ruby, this was the match where I had to go outside and do other things. All right. Well, and 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 here's the thing for the first time ever. Because the Monroes were coming this morning, so I had to watch the show live. I waited till about 8.15 and then turned it on so I could fast-forward through commercials and and just keep the flow going. So this is where I got the sandwich, I think. And then this was followed by uh, the VTR of last... Uh, well, not the VTR of last week, but a VTR from last week of QT apologizing to Hobbs. And... Again, QT Marshall does not work in this or whatever. It's so, so very, very bad. Not good. And I didn't even understand the point of this. Somehow, QT says, well, what do I got to do to get you to forgive me? 
go out and find the biggest, baddest son of a gun and beat him up? What the fuck does that have to do with the price of eggs in China, as Mama Cornette used to say? It had nothing. It just came out of nowhere as an option. It's an option. Now, see, you got a variety of options here, my boy. Now, number one, you could accept my apology. Or number two, I could go find some big badass and beat him up, and that'll prove to you that I did not mean to fuck you around. What? (laughs) Option three, get out of my locker room. Yes. Option four, can you lose my phone number? And So then the House of Blech wrestled two skinny fat jobbers with weird hair, and I'm not going to say anything bad about it because that's what they should do. Somebody should be beating up some job guys around here every once in a while, get some wins, and look impressive. But I'm not going to go into detail on it either. I thought this was all right for what it was, and it was the House of Black without the spookiness. They could still have kind of the dramatic entrance without just the you know, magic aspect of it or whatever. Uh, I thought Int- this was... Until David Copperfield is on staff, they probably should limit that activity. The only thing that I think is stupid is these guys both come out there with belts because they're two-thirds of the trios championship that we don't see defended ever, and no one really misses it. So it's just two guys coming out there with belts that aren't even on the line. That's the only thing I think is kind of... The trios well, yeah. is just ridiculous. If you, it's an old rule of thumb. If you're a champion, you have a belt, you should show it and wear it and get it over. But then it just reminds people that, and where's the other, where's Buddy? Is the AEW Trios Championship their version of the Western States Heritage Championship? I don't think it's that prestigious. Ooh. The, well, think about this. Barry Windham held the title, a big name, and it was defended, golly, for every night for three or four whole months. So they've had, what, fucking 12 six-man tag title matches since last year. And none lately. Anyway, let's go to the main event, the men's division Owen Hart final that was surprised us when it came down this way. Ricky Starks and Lack Mussolini in Calgary. CM Punk. In Calgary Stampede Territory. And boy, howdy. You know, I I said, okay, I said the Stampede Territory was where they liked men. Not as pussy-ish as Ontario, right? Maybe, maybe that'll be all CM Punk. But no, even there, the buckaroos have infiltrated. So again, CM Punk was simultaneously the most over babyface and most over heel in the goddamn company. And now, as I believe I predicted, we predicted, it didn't take Nostra dumbass to predict it, the booers are trying to drown out the cheerers, and the cheerers are trying to drown out the booers, and now it's just a goddamn duel. And Punk is sitting there clearly loving the level of both reactions and fucking milking it for all it's worth. But have you ever seen anything like this? Half the crowd would like to fucking shank him and the other half would like to carry him out of the building on their shoulders. I love it. I love that energy. And it, not that this match wasn't good, but it covers up for things in matches when the crowd is that into the personality. Yes, when 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 the people or person 
is this over? It's like cholesterol medicine. It covers up a lot of sins. You can eat more donuts. Anyway, as soon as the bell rang, they got dueling chants on arm ringers and a big chant on a headlock. <laughs> and they went, and again, this is the wrestling show. And finally, they went back and forth with headlock takeovers, and then Starks scored with a shoulder tackle and got a big pop out of it. Imagine that. Nobody was stabbed in the head with a screwdriver, but the people are still enjoying it. How in the world can this happen? And then they had a break spot where Punk, you know, they reversed hip tosses, and Punk hip-tossed Starks over the top rope with the momentum and then held the ropes for him for him to get back in. And then when they came back from the break, Starks was in control, but he threw Punk to the floor and Starks hold the ropes for, or held the ropes for Punk and Punk walked around to the other side. Little subtle shit. Cause he's, he's enjoying. Here's the thing. If somebody didn't know what they were doing, as soon as they got a bunch of the audience booing them, they would start healing. They'd be, pulling the hair and kicking in the nuts or pulling out a fucking foreign object. But that wouldn't make any sense because that's not who punk is. So he's doing little subtle things that control whether people, it magnifies the cheers or the booze, but he's not doing anything out of character. He's not suddenly becoming someone he's not presented as just because one crowd is reacting in a certain way. And it's, it's difficult to do that on the fly. And he got heat from the crowd with doing Brett moves. The fucking forearm drop off the turnbuckle and etc. This is where I wrote Ian is trying too hard. I think by the end of the show, he was just beside himself. And anyway, then they started getting some two counts. You know, Starks missed the elbow. Punk hit a clothesline. They did a double cross body and both went down. When they had the slugfest in the middle, Starks won the exchange. That's a little subtle thing. And then Punk hit a pile driver and got a two count. Wasn't that on the completely banned list? I guess someone approved a lot of things this week. I'm just thinking, I'm just thinking maybe he said hey, nobody tells Phil Brooks how to fucking wrestle. Maybe. Maybe. We will find out. Anyway. So Punk calls for the go to sleep, but Ricky Starks hits the spear and Punk goes to the floor and Starks goes out and has to roll him in. And he goes for another spear, but Punk hooks the front face lock on him on a roll through. Starks gets the ropes and then Punk Hurricane Ronas him off the ropes and they go back and forth with roll ups. And suddenly Starks rolls him up and reaches up and grabs the middle rope. One, two, three and beats CM Punk. And uh, that was fucking perfect. And I know everybody's going to say, what the fuck? You had all but called for the victory party. Punk had to win this thing in a match with Starks. And I would have said that. And I did say that. Because Starks is a baby face. I could not see Punk doing a job for Ricky Starks as a baby face unless, as we mentioned, Samoa Joe got involved or there was something else that happened. But Starks cheated, just holding the rope. That's all it needed. Because in a battle of the baby faces, the baby face that won had to cheat. And that saves Punk, but it gives Starks the biggest win he's ever had. 
your thoughts? I thought it was very interesting having Ricky Starks leave there as a heel. Because not only did he cheat, I don't know if you saw any of the, uh, I don't know if I'm going to call it an overrun, the beginning of Battle of the Belts. I did not. My DVR froze right at the fucking one, two, three, and uh, arm up. They go, we're going to go to Battle of the Belts. And they do this big intro. And I'm like, oh shit, did they tape this somewhere else? And then they just go right back to Ian and Nigel sitting there. But you see... Punk in the ring and Stark's leaving and he grabs the trophy from Liger, Jushin Liger. Ah! On the stage, he grabs the trophy in a very disrespectful way and just walks off smiling. I mean, he's happy. He's not like an angry guy. Yeah. But he doesn't have time for Jushin Liger. He just held the ropes against CM Punk. We've been saying they got to do something with Ricky Starks because as over as he is and was, and he still is, it may he be never time. does anything. It may be time to do something different with him. And you need guys on this roster on this Saturday show to do different things. And this is an interesting twist no one expected, maybe. And uh, we'll see what happens. So overall, we must give our applause. And certainly that's the best AEW television program they've ever produced. You know, it's tough. I mean, the first episode of Rampage was really good. The first episode of, well, not the first episode but I of mean, Rampage. But I mean, up and, up and down. I'm not talking about the greatest segment, greatest moment, greatest match. I'm just talking about top to bottom. Even the girls' match, nobody got a fucking, their face bashed in. In terms of sports-based wrestling, with the exception of the QT segment, and possibly the theatrics of House of Black, but I'm okay with it because it was just yeah. a dead match, this was the best sports-based wrestling episode of AEW they've ever produced. And again, you know, <laughs> at least we have to thank them for separating the problem children. It's just that they weren't correct in assuming which side the problem was on, but now that we don't have to look at any of the foolishness and we get the talented guys on, on a show... Uh, I'm going to start watching this live every week when it happens. I'll wait 15 minutes before I start so I can still zip through commercials. But what the fuck? That's the way people treat real sports. That's the way you treat a sports-based product. You want to watch it live. Well, and they haven't given me one up until now that I wanted to watch live because I knew that there were points where I'd have to either just zip through 20 minutes at a, at a time or cut my own throat. Collision! Has collided. Let's That's see right. now, and and I want to see what they're coming back. And and I hope they don't do it. FTR and Jen and Juice a rematch quickly, 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 because they're you know they're going to burn that out just in terms of well, how often can you do something like this? But I'm interested to see what the next match stipulations will be or whatever. And I hope it's not like. Any stipulation outside the ring, when you say stipulation. Oh, it's like a time limit stipulation, not yeah. like all of a sudden it's a bull rope match or something. Something that makes, is it three out of five falls with the 90-minute time limit? Ooh. Ooh. Like they used to do in, in the uh, 60s in the WWF with the six-man tag matches. When is the tag title eliminator tournament final? The bl Excuse me, the blind tag title <laughs> eliminator tournament final. Ooh. Because that's going to complicate that. Well, no, MJF and Adam Cole should not win the tag team title, even if they're the winners of the nope. tournament and get the shot. I'm not saying they should, but in terms of scheduling, you said, you know, when do they, you yeah. know, hope they don't rush the next match. 
if that tournament final is this coming week, and then you're going to wait, I would think, at least a week or maybe for a pay-per-view for the tag title match, that gives you some time for the third yeah. match. Because then you also have to decide who goes over. A very good, uh, as a matter of fact, very good point there. And I would say that I wouldn't be uh, shocked or offended if uh, FTR dropped the belts to these guys with the theory that we would certainly see at least another couple of matches with them trying to win them back. That's how good a job they did with that match. We heard from a lot of listeners that really thought Bullet Club Gold were going to win the belts. In the middle of the match, all of a sudden, they started thinking it was going to happen. Yeah. And it, it could have and nobody would have been shocked or they wouldn't have looked out of place, but it's just it's early for that yet. They're, they're still building this thing because now it, that's why the Briscoes and FTR match number two and three did business far and above and beyond what those shows would have done on their own and left to their own devices because people had heard how good the first one was. And then on the third one, they'd heard how good the first two were. So when they're doing stuff like this with these guys, there's no reason not to have more matches because that will increase the likelihood people want to see them again. Anyway. And here's hoping Jay White and Juice Robinson stay here and don't have to go back and do more tours in New Japan. They've been great. They have been we needed AEW to have some new talent that weren't going to be used stupidly and make you sick of them quickly. And these two guys have been a breath of fresh air. Here they are. Here they are. They're fresh as daisies. It's gin and juice. They're driving us crazies. All right. Was that your version of the Monkees theme song? I don't I don't know what I'm doing. I'm tired. It started I started as that. I stayed up late last night watching wrestling. I've had a pole saw in my hand this morning. Do you have any other comments and I'll close my program up? I think the song goes, I stayed up late, watched Kenny Omega while I masturbate. Now I stayed up late, now I have a pole saw in my hand. Yeah, well, if you've seen my pole, you'll know that it's sharp. We'll be back on the drive-thru in a few days, wherever you find your favorite podcast, all the usual suspects, we will be there. And the fun show, we'll try to get questions in. I don't think there's too much to review. And a lot of wacky things happening in the world of wrestling. Who will... Mouth off next. And who's, who's going to stretch Don Callis next? Join us <laughs> on the drive-thru and next week on The Experience. Until then, thank you, fuck you, bye-bye, everybody.